passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our Forbidden Door Post Show. I am John Pollock, joined, as always, by Waiting here on a late Sunday evening going into Monday. Um, but I'm very energized. How are you, Way? Uh, same. Same. Yeah. No, this was, a, this was a show that definitely perked me up, you know, especially that crowd in Chicago. What a crowd. Fantastic crowd in mm-hmm. Chicago that I'm sure we will be referencing uh, many times uh, th- throughout the show. Uh, but yes, we have a stacked card to go through. Um, I woke up today and I said, you know what? Uh, 12 matches. They could they could add another. You, we could fit Lance Archer in somewhere on this show. So you got a pretty much close to a five hour show. I'd say like, you know, four, four forty five was about the time. And then Jr. alerted us that. We're running out of satellite time, folks. So we gotta we gotta get the hell out of here. So good night. Um, but yes, I, I'm gonna say off the top, I, I thought this was a fantastic, fantastic show. It was excellent. It was excellent. Going into it, of course, I think you know a lot of the chatter and discussion was maybe the card has not necessarily lived up to I think what people's expectations were when they initially announced the concept. And certainly, you know, for all the people that bought a ticket there, I wonder if this was the crowd that they were looking forward to. I'm depending, you know, most most people weren't. Um but there's we're, we're to not me, never expecting any doubt. the crowd? I, I would say they weren't expecting the card that oh, they ultimately card. got. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. But I would say like almost everybody probably still realize that, you know, with the talent that's available for both of these rosters, it's almost next to impossible for the show to not be good. And once you kind of got into it, once you got into the matches themselves, every single one of these matches delivered. Yeah, I think the the determination of the success of the show is going to be based on three factors. Tickets sold, pay-per-view sold. And the show quality. And two out of those three were uh, very strong. Like, this was an immediate sellout. Uh, now, the secondary market, it totally collapsed. You could get into this show for four or five bucks today if you oh, wow. wanted to. So it was like, if you're going on StubHub, it was not a hard ticket to get. So um, th- that does tell you a bit about, I-, I think, maybe the build and anticipation from when those tickets were sold and going on the secondary market. Um, in terms of show quality, I, I thought this was just... Um, this is going to be one of the best cards of the year. And mm-hmm. the pay-per-view number is probably the most important one. And I, I think that's going to be really interesting. Like I, I threw out the figure of like higher or lower than, than 115. And I think that's kind of the magic number. If they do above 115 and you're talking about, if we had said back in September way that there's going to be an AEW show with new Japan, but it won't feature Kenny Omega or Brian Danielson or CM Punk or Kota Ibushi. That's a lot of wind out of your sails for a hypothetical dream card between both companies. So I think if you can do, um, you know, over 115 for this show, I, I think regardless, this is going to happen again. Um, but, but I do feel the concept is going to 
reach people in terms of buying this pay-per-view. And I, I do think that at the last minute, I, I think there was probably a lot of interest in to at least watch this show. And it's going to get great reviews coming out of it. But that that's the big unknown is what this does on pay-per-view. Yeah. I think regardless of everything, this I think is too good of an, of an opportunity not to do again. If not uh, certainly next year, then maybe even more often than that. You know, the fact that I think looking at this particular year's iteration and being as handicapped um, with injuries and who knows what else as they were, um, there's no way that they won't be able to improve on something like this. There's still so many dream matches left on the table that they have not been able to get to yet. And I would hope that, you know, in AEW's case, if they're doing the ones doing the heavy lifting, promoting the show, that lessons were learned about promotion this year. And in particular scheduling, you know, I have to imagine this year, the, the what, what, how, how this kind of fell in right between blood and guts and, and, Double or nothing was probably not ideal, but also probably on some level, you know, out of their control. Like the, the was, problem was, is, it's it's both schedules you're trying to maneuver around, and New Japan is like they were building everything for Dominion, and you squeeze this in before G1. Like, what is the ideal time of the year to try and, and do this? Um, it, it's tricky when you have you know two competing schedules and. Um, I, I just think this is always going to be something where the timing is, is going to be tough. Like, do you want to do this right after G1 where that kind of collides with your Labor Day pay-per-view if you're AEW and you've got your New Japan guys that have just gone through a hellacious tour of, of G1? Um, you know, you, you can move it to a different time in, in the year. I think that that was certainly a factor, but I, I imagine it was a lot of like the names we just listed that were not around, other injuries they had to deal with, ones that were known ahead of time and ones that kind of, like a Danielson that just kind of unfortunately happened at the, at the wrong time that impacted things as well. So this is what they were left to work with. And I think as we looked at this card, I can't say I'm surprised that we were sitting here on a Sunday night, looking at this as a really tremendous card, because I think it looked like it on, on paper, but it was more so how we got here. And that's going to have a big impact on, on your pay-per-view number. So let's get into it because it's, it's a very busy show. And then we'll be opening up the phone lines for our double, double ice cap and espresso members at postwrestlingcafe.com. Thank you to everybody that is joining us live and we will be getting uh, to your feedback later and super uh, we- chats as well. Yes, so you can get uh, those super chats in. We will be monitoring those. We start off with the buy-in, which had Excalibur, Taz, and Kevin Kelly uh, on the broadcast. And they were kind of our team for, I would say, uh, 60 to 70% of the show. And then we got some drop-ins and Jim Ross doing the last uh, couple of matches on the pay-per-view. But then we also had the dual in-ring announcers. We had Justin Roberts representing AEW and he had been he's been uh, he's been off for, for some time but back here along with uh, Takoro Shibata who was maybe low key my favorite person on the show. This guy was just added a lot. I I yeah, like this touch. Shibata. I I love the fact that they went to such extent to have like the New Japan in-ring announcer but yet Rick Knox is officiating the IWGP title match. Well, I, I guess uh, there's only so much budget to fly, you know, New Japan crew over here. I guess you got to make your, your – it's like the ring announcer or the referees. Is he the usual announcer for New Japan? Um, I, I would love to say that. Or is he just one of them? I, he sounded a little different. I don't know if he does all the shows, but uh, I definitely recognize him. So, hmm. um, yes, we started off with uh, QT Marshall and Aaron Solo against Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. Um, a lot of heat here for QT and – chanting that he sucks and uh 
we did have referee Jeremy Marcus here representing New Japan. So, so we did get that New Japan referee here from, uh, from the, from the U.S. contingent. Yes. Yeah. Um, QT went for his uh, version of the space flying tiger drop, the QT special, uh, which Taz noted, we can see why it's rarely done as he made his way <laughs> over the top to the floor. And uh, QT is mocking Hiroki Goto's hand sign and is met with a lariat. He calls QT calls for the diamond cutter. It's blocked on the first try, but then uh, later hits Yoshihashi with it. Goto makes the save. QT then misses with a 450 splash. This is our opener on the buy-in. And then Yoshihashi kicks QT into an Ushiguroshi, and they hit their double team and pin Aaron Solo in eight minutes and 54 seconds to kick things off. Um, as Goto, you know, that was, that was high stakes with Tanahashi. You're either going to open this show or close the show. And he had to, he had to open the buy-in well at least he got on the show that's that's a good thing um i thought it was an okay match you know we're grading this as an exhibition on a free show on youtube to try to entice people and um i can't necessarily say it was all that enticing other than the fact that i mean you got to see you know genuine new japan pro wrestlers inside uh, an aew ring on u.s soil in front of this crowd you got a sense of the atmosphere but to me, it was not necessarily remarkable unless you were simply imp- impressed by that novelty. But some flashy moves from QT there. You know what this was? This was like a sign of, listen, this crowd's really into stuff. And they're only going to get louder as this show progresses because mm-hmm. they were into Yoshihashi. Oh, yeah. And that's that's a pretty good sign. Well, I mean, that's something that's always – I know I shouldn't be that impressed, the fact that, you know – this crowd knew everybody this crowd like went crazy for shibata they went you know they were cheering for hiroshi tanahashi over john moxley in the main event i shouldn't be surprised because i mean the genesis of aew is from very much new japan and and that all-out show uh more so than roh in my opinion so everybody knows everybody on this show at least the people that were there a lot uh, the additional match, uh, we have four matches on the buy-in. They added Lance Archer against Nick Camaroto, and Archer came out in his uh, Suzuki gun shirt, and Archer drops him face first on the edge of the apron, uh, gets hit, with, hits him with a choke slam. They're trading strikes, and then Archer does his rope walk into the moonsault for a two count. Camaroto catches him with a power slam, uh, but then gets stopped on the turnbuckle and hit with blackout as Lance Archer wins in six minutes and 10 seconds. It made sense for, you know, this guy being AEW's own representative in the G1 to throw him in somewhere, although not obviously a a big spot of any note on the show, just someone to get on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they forgot about him like on Wednesday (laughs) or even Friday, you know, when they were making all those late announcements. Uh, Oh, by the way, we should probably feature our G1 uh, representative. But um, here he is, you know. If nobody was really expecting the match, nobody was really demanding the match. But I mean, it was a, a fun Haas fight. You know, I think Nick Camaroto is always, uh, I don't even, I guess he's always on dark because like I never hear from him nor the key, the, what is it, the factory. And so it made their inclusion in this feel just kind of very last minute and like who else is around that we could use, you know, and they got um, all the factory workers on. Yeah. So, um, again, not not high in importance at all, but I mean, sure, a bit of showcase to let people know that Archer's in the G1 this year. Alex Marvez interviewed Clark Connors in the back. He hopes uh, Tomohiro Ishii gets well soon. He's got this opportunity. He's going to prove that he's not just great in Japan, but also on the largest stage here in AEW. Let's Ooh. go. Let's go wild. Yeah, I don't know how how Ghetto uh, would have liked that that comment. I mean. There's no way anyone caught the, the this promo backstage. Oh, yeah. No. 
Oh, you don't think they, so? They, they have busier things to do. They're not catching the buy-in. They've got they've got a whole pay-per-view to watch. So this, yeah. this was like a Hulk Hogan calling the WWF title uh, an ornament, <laughs> not like the real title, the IWGP title. It's nice to, nice to see Connors get some mic time. Um, definitely like probably a weaker a- aspect of his game at the moment, but you know, still it was this guy needed something because he, yeah. um, you know, he was sort of the, the weak link in the match and you wanted to give him something here. So they did mm-hmm. get this promo and the, and the crowd got into him for his like big spot of the match. But the buy-in concluded with Yoshinobu Kanemaru and El Desperado against Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee. Uh, El Desperado, man, this was uh, – I, I would have loved to have seen him in something more more prominent. I, I enjoy watching this guy so much. He's just the best at at breaking down someone's knee and everything that that revolves around that that numero dos and finding unique ways. And, and they did that in here with Keith Lee. And they played off of Strickland and Lee not being on the same page when Swerve missed and drop kicks his partner in the knee. And this – led to Lee selling his knee throughout the whole match and Desperado having that target. And as I said, he's just fantastic when it, when it comes to that stuff. Um, Swerve comes in and Lee is uh, stalling on the floor. Desperado kicks the rope low into, into Keith Lee. And then finally, um, Kanemaru goes back to the knee, figure four, and then Desperado puts Swerve into numero dos, but Lee grabs Desperado by the throat, uh, breaking both submissions. And we get... Uh, the Suntory surprise from Kanemaru into Lee's uh, face for a near fall as Taz reminisces and notes how much that burns because there was a time that he had bourbon uh, spit into his face. And he did not contextualize if this was in wrestling, if this was just a night out with Hook. Uh, but man, that would suck getting bourbon like right in the face, in the eyes, no less. Uh, you know, I've never had it happen to me, so I, I can't really tell you. Um but I, I, yeah, I imagine it wouldn't be fun. Swerve then leaps over the top, coming down with a double stomp onto Desperado. And at this point, this crowd just like has this gigantic release of like, this is awesome. And we're like yeah. going to get on our feet for this. And they're just going nuts here off this, this spot. And then Lee hits the big bang catastrophe to pin Kanemaru in 12 minutes and five seconds. Strongest thing on the buy-in. Fantastic match. Absolutely. Um, I didn't expect Kanemaru and Desperado Desperado to be so like completely relentless in comparison to Lee and and uh, Swerve here. You know their barrage was constant. Obviously, you could tell the years of uh, teaming up together. Um, their psychology in in their barrage on Lee's knee was very you know amusing to watch, uh, and I thought their charisma was fantastic. Their heel shtick, as tiring as I think sometimes it may. Like, they're not even heels half the time. At least, like, Desperado is not a heel half the time. But, like, you know, um, I feel like the Suzuki-gun in, stuff in general might be a bit tiring in a New Japan setting. But in an, in front of an American audience, it works great. You know, them playing to the crowd um, and just, like, really kind of, like, absorbing the booze. I thought they, they translated really well. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed this tag match a lot. Yeah, very strong stuff here. Hobbs and Starks are in a private box and they make fun of Lee and Swerve calling themselves Shaq and Kobe when they're Jordan and Pippen and the crowd booed this. They did not co-sign on that. And Starks refers to Swerve as Sinistic from the Applejacks commercial and Keith Lee is a broke-ass Philip Banks and they will never compare to them. You can't be the best team when you haven't beaten us. So obviously this tag match is coming up pretty soon. Yeah. Yuya Yuimura, I guess you didn't really care for the insults. 
been quite uh the the Mr. Banks line. Yeah. It's good. It was okay. Yeah. Yuya Yuimura, Alex Coglin and the DKC and Kevin Knight taking on Max Caster and the Gun Club. So Max Caster comes out, says he's gonna put four more guys on the injured list. This is the last company that I would be tempting fate by by making light of uh your injured reserves. Because yeah. uh anyway, but uh he said that the uh the dojo guys are too busy washing Shibata's balls. Yeah, they said. He also said, you're, uh, "I'm going to make you call me senpai because you're too busy in the dojo watching hentai." <laughs> so it's funny. So then they, they go through. Austin yells out for the Tokyo Dome. Colton says Green Bay, and then Bowens does Chicago. And Excalibur says, "If they go any longer, we might have to cancel this pay per view." So then Danhausen appears on screen and plays a ass boys song so austin and colton leave and run to the back and never come back so we just get a four-on-two match with billy and max caster mm-hmm. yeah um i mean i think the obvious intent was to you know make the la dojo feel like the heels in this bunch and it was a way to do it, you know, for a group of people that I, w- I would imagine um, a lot people, a lot of people watching would not have been familiar with. Well, this eliminated Austin and uh, and Colton from the match. So uh, Coglin hits a fallaway slam onto Billy. Dude, Billy towers over everybody. He's around. Billy Gunn might like he every time I see him in AEW, he he feels like he's the biggest guy. Like he feels like he's Wardlow. You know, yeah, I'd love but, to see see him actually stand next to Wardlow. Yeah, this is a fully grown lion. Billy Gunn. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, Kelly is uh, putting over Yuya Yui Murab huge here, comparing him to Tatsumi Fujinami, Ricky Steamboat. Um, Billy gets the hot tag. This is all built around Billy, by the way. And he hits the big boot onto Yui Mura. Knight avoids a Famouser, but lands a drop kick. And then Billy with the suck it and Famouser onto the DKC, tags Max for the mic drop and pins a DKC in 536. But I mean, th- I, I saw like a lot of enjoyment over uh, Billy Gunn in this match, so I guess that was the uh, the appeal of of this match. I mean, he's certainly the most famous person of everybody, but also Max Caster. I think you know, I, I mean, Max Caster obviously like I think the bigger star at, at least you know as, in terms of current uh, wrestlers. I felt it was pretty odd, honestly, the whole thing. I I also figured like the whole ass boys leaving was a, a reason to give the uh the to have the gun club lose the match you know with the four on two disadvantage can't be instead gun. <laughs> instead it, it seemed like it was a reason to have them beat the L A dojo really it was it came down at, at to a disadvantage it was like the yeah. two overcame the four i mean it was very bizarre i don't know what the deal was with austin and colton being removed realistically john it was just billy gunn who defeated the la dojo by himself okay, i mean at least he didn't I, I would have seriously been pissed if he pinned yui mura i would have like yeah. the, the dkc i guess was your sacrificial lamb like here. The, the entire match was caster selling he gives billy gunn the hot tag monster he monster baby face billy gunn here he uh <laughs> you know, uh, a fame asser and just destroys the LA dojo. So, I mean, I guess you could tell like, you know, AEW is is, Tony maybe was booking this one and Gato was just like LA dojo, whatever you you can have them lose. Who cares? Maybe they wanted to sync it up with, um, you know, who was a guy who was popular during um, the bulls last big dynasty. Uh, Could be Billy Gunn. Or you could be looking at, Hey, Billy Gunn, new Japan veteran. 
That's right. That's right. You know, when Tanahashi came, he wanted to wrestle Billy Gunn. Remember that? That's it. Maybe they're building yeah. him up for Tokyo. Uh, so, so that concluded the uh, the buy-in uh, portion with, with those four matches. Um, I, I really enjoyed the the tag in, in the middle there, tag and it, it was fun. Yeah. It was like everything went by fairly quickly. And then we go on to the main card, and it's the same announcer. So we again, it's Excalibur, Taz, and Kevin Kelly. And I thought the three of them were great together. In particular, yeah. I thought Taz was phenomenal on this show. I really? thought Taz was really great. Yeah, well, Taz was very good. But to me, like the standout in all of this is always going to be Excalibur. He is somebody who knows New Japan as well. He does as he does all elite wrestling. Kevin Kelly as well. The two of them together, the three of them together were fantastic. Where was Chris Charlton? What was he doing? Well, that that was the question as well. Because um, he was there. I don't know. Yeah, took a photo with maybe William saying, Regal. Maybe watch with William Regal. I would love to hear that alternate commentary. Uh, me too. I'd love to. I mean, I, I think I would have loved to have seen some presence from him. But I suppose when you have already like so many other people, maybe they didn't consider Maybe Maybe he was necessary. on New Japan World's uh, feed to translate the English promos into Japanese. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I'd love to know what his role was. I mean, he's probably very deeply involved in Biz- the website. Bizarro Charlton, yes, translating wow. everything into Japanese. Interesting. Goes both so, ways. Yeah, he could translate. Uh, I'm a wizard. Yeah, I'd love to know how to say that. Chris Jericho, Minoru Suzuki, and Sammy Guevara opening the show, uh, taking on Eddie Kingston, Shota Umino, and Wheeler Yuta. So for the second time this year, Jericho and Kingston find themselves in the pay-per-view opener. And maybe maybe Jericho's discovered something on these shows. Being that hot opener. Like, this is a coveted spot on any AEW pay-per-view. Judas is also a great way to open up a pay-per-view. Yeah, it's it's a good spot. And I, I would I would I would imagine like there's a lot of guys that want to be in that that opener on mm-hmm. the pay-per-view. I, I also imagine, like, you know, maybe there was some appeal to having Judas and Kazadin R.A. back to back. Yeah, start the show. I mean, you, you did have that as well. I mean, they could have done a, a kind of blended version of it. A, a, a mashup of those two? <laughs> Kazanin Judas. Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> that would probably sound terrible. Yeah. So both come out, crowds going wild for, for the themes. And they show footage of Jericho slapping and attacking Shota Umino at Wrestle Kingdom 12. And I thought, based on this, I thought we were going to get a lot of like other footage throughout the show to like tie in stories. This probably should have aired on TV. It's, oh, yeah. it's a small thing having Umino in this match. But if you're going to have him in there and explain it, this is great footage to have. So I'm glad they aired it here. But this this could have been better served maybe on television. Completely agree. I mean, we've we've already talked about it. You know, reviewing Dynamite, it was a very bloated show in that they had to announce so many things, so many th- matches that they didn't even they didn't even finish announcing the whole card on Wednesday. On top of that, you had to build to blood and guts. So I guess maybe Excalibur's voice gave out. It's like, and let's or- <laughs> tune in on Sunday. <laughs> maybe you maybe just quit after that. He, he didn't have a, a Nick Camaroto in him. So Jericho and you and Wheeler Yuta start and dude, this is the point where you realize this is going to be an incredible crowd. They are yeah. so into Yuta mm-hmm. and they do this spot where he hits a German to Jericho, but he holds on and it's one German after the other. And the crowd just gets louder and louder and louder and louder. It's this incredible start. They and were on he- their feet and then the, the camera cut to like the wide shot where like it, they, they recognized a significant moment. And this was at the start of the pay-per-view. Yep. Usually you get moments like this, like in the, in the, in the last stretch of a main event, this was the start of the pay-per-view. 
Yeah. I mean, this was a tremendous spot and the crowd is just, they're chanting for Eddie. They're chanting, let's go shooter. I mean, they're just into everybody here. Mm -hmm. Jericho and Kingston are finally in, but Jericho won't go to toe to toe with him. He tags in Suzuki. So the crowd, they're momentarily like, oh, the coward. But then it's like, oh shit, it's Kingston and Suzuki. We'll take this. And the two just stare down one another. They're trading chops. We've got Kingston like uh, doing the Kobashi style chops in the corner. And Suzuki, he won't sell these Kobashi chops. He just stands up to him. He's He's like, what what am I going to do with this replica? I've I've faced the real thing. So Jericho then tags in when Kingston is down and injured, and then Kingston lights Jericho up with 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 the the chops in the corner. Uh, we get the the heels then with tr- a triple submission spot here, including Kingston in the octopus by Suzuki, and uh, Guevara is uh, caught with an exploder and an STO, and Guevara climbs to the top. And hits a shooting star press off the top to Umino on the floor. Yuta follows w- w- with a dive over the top. Eddie hits a topi or an elbow suicida. And then Minoru Suzuki teases a dive. But then he's just playing the crowd. This is a guy I never want to see do a dive in his in the remaining years of his career. But I would love to hear see him tease it. Every match, why not? Yeah. Very entertaining. Uh, Kingston gets a blind tag. He hits a backdrop driver onto Sammy and applies to Stretch Plum. And Suzuki comes and breaks it. We get we get an Urican Jericho Germans Kingston Guevara with a springboard cutter, and then Yuta with a frog splash. All six men are down. Um, there's just a million things going on here. Guevara hits Yuta with the GTH on the floor. Kingston then nails Jericho from the floor. This leads to a huge near fall for Umino. And at the end here, this was all about Umino. Mm-hmm. And Guevara, he kind of mistimed this bat spot to Umino, but he still sold it. Ducks the it, Judas. No, no he actually landed. Like, it looked, I thought too he It missed. looked awkward, but I didn't rewind it to, like, to watch. I, I I did rewind it. He made contact. Like, okay. Well, clearly. then then my mistake. Um so he ducks the Judas effect, and it leads to a brain buster. And, dude, this crowd thought Shota Umino was going to pin Chris Jericho on an AEW pay-per-view. Like, they had this crowd in the palm of their hands here. Mm-hmm. Umino then applies the walls of Jericho. This crowd's like, oh, he's not going to pin him on an AEW pay-per-view. He's going to submit him on an AEW pay-per-view with his own submission. <laughs> Fuck. Guevara attacks Umino. <laughs> he won't let go of the walls. So then Suzuki breaks it up. Gotch pile driver to Kingston. Umino fights off Suzuki and Guevara. And then he roars to the crowd, turns around, boom, Judas effect, and Jericho pins Umino in 19 minutes. Phenomenal, phenomenal opener. And show to Umino, um, this is, with all due respect to his excursion in the UK, this 19 minutes was bigger than anything he has done in this entire multi year excursion that he has been on. You can argue for his entire career, like on a, on a global stage. I don't oh, know. This he, was the this was the biggest match he's been involved in. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I'll tell you what. In a match involving Eddie Kingston, Chris Jericho, Minoru Suzuki, I did not expect to come out of this thinking about Wheeler Yuta, who booking that like rolling Germans. I don't know if they expected that sort of reaction for Yuta off the top, but like. The opening moments of this match with Yuta doing that to, to Jericho just felt so incredibly like magical, to be honest. Like with this crowd standing on their feet for the opening, like opening, you know, spot of, of a of a match. I think it and it's, a lot of it had to do with the fact that I mean they're so different. This is Chris Jericho, the legend, and Wheeler Yuta, you know, the rookie of the the the, the what is it, uh, Blackpool Combat Club. Um, 
it tells you just so much about like how much um, they've done with Wheeler Yuta and how much this crowd is into this character. Uh, he's like, you know, sort of the everyman. He's like, you know, like the the guy that um, doesn't necessarily feel feels like he he doesn't feel like he's on the level of a Moxley or O'Brien or Claudio, but he uh, he's on his way. You know, we're following his journey anyway. It's him, and also coming out of it at the end of it, it's it's Shota Umino, somebody who has been completely off of my radar since he's left New Japan, you know, and just simply due to a lack of accessibility to his like Rev Pro stuff or uh, me not not following strong. But he, they got into him. This uh, the entire audience recognized the connection between uh, Shota Umino and John Moxley here, and they were cheering for him as if he was like Moxley's son, his Moxley's other son. You know, and and they gave him an incredible run up to the to the end here. It's certainly the biggest match I've seen him in. It was a very um, a, a very unselfish way of of booking this match because mm-hmm. you could have built everything around getting to Jericho and Kingston. You could have made Minoru Suzuki the focal point, but instead, it felt like these six. It was a concerted effort that we're going to make Yuta. And we're going to make Umino. And the result was this match, um, to me, did far greater than one guy's excursion that he's been on forever. Yeah. And realistically, Yuta got a hell of a lot more to me out of this than the best of the Super Juniors from an AEW side. Like, if, if you're true. an AEW viewer, you don't even know what this guy did. It was mm-hmm. like in in passing that he went yeah. and did this this big tournament, but didn't come out of it with with any greater or lesser than he was before he left. It's true. Now we are speaking from the perspective of, of North American fans, right? Who are primarily watching AEW and not, uh, you know, New Japan, um, like every single New Japan show. So, I'm I'm talking about it as someone who watched both, and I watched the best of the Super Juniors, and I, I don't think he was he was booked as like. Well, so, in a do, do we know how many people in Japan watch this show? Uh, sorry, I'm just talking about what he got out of this. I'm not talking well, about I, I'm saying about like what it means to Japanese audience if they're not necessarily watching Forbidden Door. Well, I'm talking about his his booking in the best of the super juniors. Like if if you're looking at that okay, as you're, you're talking about booking. I guess I'm talking about like exposure as well. Like you know, anyway. Sorry, that's fine. Um so there we go. I thought I thought it was a excellent opener, and then we get a follow-up angle later in the show. FTR, Great O'Conn, and Jeff Cobb, and Rapongi Vice for the ROH and IWGP Tag Team Championships. They brought in Bobby Cruz and Caprice Coleman for this one. And FTR come out, and they are, in fact, wearing your Triple R Tag Team Championships. The Forbidden Belts. They should. uh, Yeah, yeah, interesting. So I guess uh, talent can't appear, but the belts can. Uh, Yeah, I I would love to see, like, the Venn diagram of what what can cross this this imaginary line and, and what cannot. What gets approved? What does not? What's what just uh, sneaks its way through? Um, so anyway, um, Dax starts off and he hits this sliding elbow onto Rocky Romero, and he's immediately favoring the shoulder. And he rolls out. He immediately tags out and rolls to the floor. Doc Sampson is there to check on him, and then he he is taken to the back, and Cash is left by himself. And everyone is speculating if if he's hurt, what this means for Cash. And they just get the heat on Cash for a while. There's one spot where Great O'Conn sits on Cash's head on the turnbuckle as the close-up of Cash's face. As this man's ass is on top of his head. Mm-hmm. Just demoralizing. Yeah, this uh, this is a spot he's been doing. And uh, it's different with a reactive crowd than a clap crowd. That's for sure. That's right. I thought maybe we would get... Um, 
an authentic New Japan experience tonight. And some of the crowd, they would have been so smart, they would have just clapped all night. I think it would, you would have seen a few more masks in the crowd, too, in that case. Rapungi Vice get back into the match. There's an eliminator to Romero on the apron. Um, it all builds up to this crowd just losing their shit as Dax comes out and he's got the shoulder taped up, very uh, Terry Funk-esque. Uh, and he tags in. They get even louder. And he goes after Ocon and Cobb. Uh, and we get another rolling German spot on this show. Not as effective as the Yuta one, but nonetheless... Uh, Ocon lifts Trent into a German. They're involved here. Strong zero is hit on Cobb, but Cash it makes the save. And then there's an O'Connor roll by Rocky Romero onto Dax. O'Connor roll, huh? A great O'Connor roll? <laughs> oh, my goodness, yes. But here's where Paul Turner goes down. And as he's going down, he hits the mat once. But then he starts his count the second time he hits it. So it's the second time he's hitting the mat that he's yelling one, two, Mm -hmm. and the crowd can't hear him. They just see the arm hit three times. So they just boo this, thinking that Rocky Romero has won. He's been screwed by this Paul Turner. and This this happens from time to time in wrestling, and and it's always surprising. And it's at the point now where I'm wondering if, like, referees work on it to – like do it intentionally for like that false finish, you know, Uh, to me, it's a negative though. To me, it takes kind of the air out of the sails of the fans who are like taken out of the match because they think like it's a fuck up. I don't necessarily think I would not be doing this intentionally, especially Uh, when you like watch the replay and you can see that the contact is not being made, you know, with the, with the, with the mat, but sure. Okay. I see. I can see the argument against it. So anyway, and then FTR comes back with the big rig onto Romero and huge reaction for this finish in 16 minutes and 25 seconds as FTR are now triple tag team champions. Um, amazing. Yeah. What a fantastic tag team match. This is one of those types of matches that I think escalates itself beyond just, you know, being a great technical in-ring match. It had a story attached to it, an easy to follow story and a great payoff at the end. The the action, though, every single person in the match, I thought, delivered at an incredibly high level. Jeff Cobb was great. Rocky Romero was great. Romero was great. Yeah. Trent was awesome. I think the great Ocon was great as well. Um, and FTR, though, above all else, like this was, um, I think, knows so much of the talk. And the focus coming out of this match is going to be on Dax. But it was Cash Wheeler who took the bulk of it. And he was excellent. Uh it's 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 a it's a spot and an angle that's kind of been you know done so often, like you know the mid match injury. But when it works, it really works. And when you have a, a team that the audience really wants to see being given a major push in a major spotlight like this, it really works. And uh, this gave the crowd exactly what they wanted. You know, uh, something big for FTR. And, dude, FTR, the way this injury was sold, like, Dax was great. The mm-hmm. concern that Cash had was mm-hmm. very effective. Him and, stumbling to the corner and oh, in, out, of desper- well done. out of desperation realizing his partner was in there, and so he had to tag Trent. Like, he was great. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you, it is kind of leaning into, like, uh, how plagued this show has been that I think you have an audience that is uh, very much aware of, like, all these injuries that they were, were buying this immediately. So when Dax comes out, like that was one of the larger reactions on the show. So yes. th- this was a uh, tremendous uh, as we're two for two on this pay-per-view. So what's going on with FTR? Are they showing up in new Japan? They have to, they have to. And like in terms of the schedule, like where can you see them fitting in? I would, um, I would send them over to do like an angle, maybe at the, the end of the G one, like on that final night hmm. and set something up for, 
the fall. Like those tag titles are kind of going to be idle throughout the the G one, so it's not really anything you can capitalize on now. Um, and and how, how long do you see them like you know being a part of New Japan? Do they go into tag league? Do do we see them at Tokyo Dome? I I I think a hundred percent you're going to have AEW involvement at the the Tokyo mm-hmm. Dome, and I think this would suggest FT, FTR doing the tag league would be great. I think my only hesitation is just seeing this G one lineup and our what level are they going to part with a, with a team? The fact that they're putting the tag titles on them, I would, I would think like that's a realistic possibility and that them doing the tag league would be a great boost for that, that tournament. But, but a bit of a detriment to AEW, you know, to have those guys out as hard as they are from the company for so long. Yeah. But I mean, that's, um, yeah, that's something you, you, you've got to decide upon. I mean, they have, they have so much, they have so many tag teams. You, you would think like they, they can spare them for four weeks, but we'll see. I, I thought the same for the G1. Shivani is in the back with Jay White and Juice Robinson, who has the United States title. And Juice says that Osprey versus Orange Cassidy is really just a number one contenders match. And they bring up how Juice had beat Osprey, Moxley, and Tanahashi in the same night at Capital Collision last month. And Jay White is going to do the same in this four-way tonight and win. And uh, I really thought this was going to telegraph more involvement of Juice on the show. But other than sitting in the uh, private box, this was it. We, we kept Juice to a minimum. We had no Bullet Club bullshit on this show. I mean, what, other than what a, Gato, what a shock! Eliminate the House of Torture and yeah. Evil, and give crowds the ability to cheer. And New Japan felt like a super hot company tonight. And I wonder how much of it is Tony Khan and like really AEW's involvement, and maybe their understanding of like a lot of the crowd's um, criticisms. You know, versus- yeah, like how how minimal was Ghetto involved? Like the, the very yeah. least in terms of a Ghetto involvement in a in a big Jay White title match. Like it was mm-hmm. it was there, but you you blinked, you missed it. So yeah, I, I think that was probably a a concerted effort to kind of limit a lot of a lot of that. And on a show like this, where it kind of leans towards finishes to protect people, like they they could have gone overboard on a lot of that stuff, and it was the opposite. Clark Connors, Pack, Malachi Black, and Miro to crown the first All-Atlantic champion. Uh, we have Black and Pack on the floor, and Miro attacks Connors inside. Black applies a knee bar, and then Miro stops it. Uh, he applies it onto Connors, and Miro just drags Connors by the hair to the floor to break up the submission. And we have Black and Miro shoving each other. They're taking turns stomping uh, pack, but then they have their face off, and this excites the audience to see Miro and Black finally go at it. Pack dumps Black on his head with a suplex. Connors then goes for a suplex to Miro, but he can't get it, so Black drills Miro with a boot. Black brought out a table and sets it against the guardrail, and there's this little kid who is standing right beneath this guardrail, and he's like moving out of the way, and there were several times on this show where I was worried about this little kid just getting rocked. Like that Osprey spot where he drills uh, Cassidy. This kid's just standing right up against the guardrail. You're talking about like the top right, a uh, top left of the st- of the ring or, or another kid. This was a, th- this was a little kid right in front of the um... like top right of the screen. Yes. Yes. This was like, was this the same kid that like Moxley, like um, knocked over by, by accident? Like when he I didn't catch entrance? the kid that Moxley knocked over, maybe because uh, he, he might have been the same kid because Moxley said uh, had apologized and checked on a kid after. 
Oh, okay. Well, I, it might have been the same kid because I was worried about this kid's well-being throughout the throughout the show. He was like right up. And these are those guardrails that, boom, if you're not watching, you're going to get knocked over. So anyway, uh, Black brings out the table. Everyone is trying to put someone through the table. And it ends with Clark Connors spearing Miro. And this is the place they go wild for Clark Connors, who gets the, who gets the big hit on Miro. <laughs> then he spears Pack in the ring and hits the trophy kill. But Black makes the save. Miro comes back and he throws everyone off with a Tower of Doom. And then we just get um, Black and Connors to the floor. Machka kick to Pack. Game over. But then Pack fights the rope. He reapplies it in the center. And in comes Malachi Black. And he hits Miro with the Black Mist and hits him with the Black Mass. That's the end of him. Connors gets caught in a flying arm bar. And with the arm bar, Pack comes off the top with a black arrow onto Black, breaking up the submission. So that takes out Malachi and he applies the brutalizer to Connors. Just a tremendous ending to this match. And Pack represents the Atlantic Ocean. A man with an actual claim to it. He holds yeah. this title and kind of uh, someone that was definitely uh, due for something. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what this championship becomes. But you're putting it on, seriously, one of the better guys in a company that is stacked with talent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pac is somebody who was uh, one of the original signees to this company. And, you know, due, due to various issues with, uh, and, and an entire pandemic keeping him away from this place i feel like he would have um he should have received this moment if not a bigger moment uh in the AEW landscape a whole lot sooner but it's great to see that that they haven't forgotten about him despite the fact that you have arguably bigger stars in the company now in miro and uh, malachi black who were my my picks to win above pack you know pack is great but i just didn't necessarily know if like AEW still had a, a a prominent position for him as a top guy when there are so many bigger names it's great to see that they they still consider that that he does have a lot more stardom within him. Um, it was an, an absolutely incredible match. As I think, like any sort, like these are the guys that are kind of in the mid card in AEW. Any combination of, of of these two, like you know, we're talking about the rest of the Death Triangle and the rest of the House of Black, is always, always, always fantastic, uh, and and just incredibly intricate here with so many of the different sequences and the speed and the intensity. Miro fits in here so nicely. He he looks incredible. Black looked very dominant. You know, Clark Connors ended up being ultimately more of a ping pong ball for everybody else here, although he did get his spots. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for stepping in here, you know, really like as a replacement. I'll be lying if I said I wasn't thinking about what Tomohiro Ishii would have looked like in the mix here, because I think that would have been just amazing. But I think, you know, considering how last minute it was like Clark Connors, I thought did a very good job. Yeah. Um, you know, he was he was in a really tough spot being put into this. Um, not not a big star, but got, you know, uh, several moments in this match to at least have something coming out of it. And the thing I am most excited about coming out of this. Yes, Pac's going to have some terrific matches, but Miro and his promo yeah. after taking the black mist. I can't. Ooh, wait. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Man. Is that a future feud? It has to be. This was totally set up for Malachi and Miro to have something coming out of this with the mist. So are they done with like Death Triangle and House of Black now? Um, I mean, it's always something they, I guess, can can revisit. But I, I think for sure you're going to have Miro and Malachi doing something after this or else yeah. you, you don't do a finish like that. I, I can't wait for those promos. Oh, I hope he keeps the mist like there. It's scarred to his face. Yeah. Lovely. 
Tony Schiavone comes out and he joins commentary. He's pretty much just here so he can introduce Sting and be on commentary for one match. So when he announces Sting, his music is playing, but he doesn't come out. So we go to the Bucks, who come out with El Fantasmo and Hikuleo, and the lights go out again, and they put a spotlight in the rafters, and then they go to the entrance tunnel, and there is Sting on top of the tunnel and jumps off top. New Jack himself. So this is just like his thing. He just jumps off high shit now. Yeah. They, I mean, for, for several of the of the other matches that we've seen him, they've saved it for like a significant significant spot in the match. This time they started the match with it, and I thought it was like the perfect way to add some variation to it, like sent the crowd into a frenzy right away. Yeah, and Darby nailed Hikuleo with the skateboard to explain him being uh, temporarily out of the out of uh, the corner for for the Bucks and Phantasmo. So uh, Kelly mentions how Takagi and El Phantasmo will be in the same block together in the G1. He was also trying very hard to get Los Stingonables de Japón over. Los Stingonables, and hmm, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a worthy shot. It's one I think a know, for effort. Yes, we would have come up with. Yeah. Uh, Sting and Takagi are working together, delivering sentons onto El Phantasmo. Sting just interacting with any any life forms is entertaining at this point. Like I different think, people. Yeah, new friendship goals here between Sting and Shingo. Stingo. 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 My my new favorite uh, dudes with attitudes. Uh, Matt does this just ridiculous setup for the back rake, like his most ridiculous to date with the multiple cartwheels and hand spins and gets a pop when he finally delivers the back rake to Darby Allen. Um, Excalibur goes over the history of Takagi and the Young Bucks in Dragon Gate and PWG. And then Nick and Takagi are in real brief. Phantasmo uh, does a spot where he grabs Sting's nipples. Mm-hmm. Let me rewind. Phantasmo does a spot where he grabs Sting's nipples and Sting no-sold his nipples and hit a stinger splash to Phantasmo and, and Matt and then to both bucks. Sting has like teams with Ro- Robocop. He's seen some crazier shit than this. Hikuleo gets involved and Phantasmo punches Sting in the balls. So the bucks hit double super kicks to all three. Sting eats the super kicks and he just fires back. No sells these these super kicks and hits the double clothesline. There's a coffin drop onto the to the knees of Matt and uh, Darby gets hit with the more bang for your buck and a thunder kiss 86. Bucks hit Tope Suicidas. Phantasma does his rope walk into a Asai moonsault from the top. And then Sting goes for a dive, but he is stopped with a triple super kick. The Bucks go for the BTE trigger, Sting ducks, so they connect knees, and he hits them with double scorpion death drops, and then grabs Phantasmo's nipples and kicks him in the balls behind Rick Knox's back, if you can keep up with this. <laughs> Coffin drop onto a standing Hikuleo on the floor. Takagi hits Phantasmo with a pumping bomber, lifts him up for Maiden Japan, but then decides, no, we're going for Last of the Dragon, and he hits it, pins Phantasmo in 13.08, and Shivani... He exits, and we get a triple fisting with the winners. Los Stingonables de Japón are 1-0 <laughs> and good. as a trios unit. Another hell of a match, I have to say. This was like your fun Sting match. Um, so fun. And, and we didn't even, like, we haven't even talked since um, Saturday when Hiromu uh, yep. got a fever. He couldn't travel, so they had to turn this into a trios match with uh, Hiromu out. It was like, at that point, it was like... 
I, you can't even be disappointed because like you knew there was going to be some other change to this card and that we would lose one of the, you know, more, um, uh, I think, you know, crowd favorited, uh, wrestlers. probably what every fan thought when sting didn't come out to his music, they're like, Oh no, what, <laughs> yeah. what, what happened? Another injury. <laughs> uh, but I'm not leaving this match with any sort of disappointment because it was absolutely fantastic. And I think so much of my enjoyment came down to how they continue to make sting feel so incredibly special and so so just uh, i don't know like unique in a sea of like you know uh, in a roster that's like half his age how they still managed to make him like feel so spectacular uh in ring uh working around so many of his limitations and let's be honest like i mean at this point i wonder what like there are still definitely limitations but what he can do like jumping off a tall shit um that's more than enough and they're they're maximizing all of this guy's value and everything that he can do like giving him like a, a super kick no sell spot for instance you know it 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 just kind of completely lights this crowd up and i think it's more of a you know it's it sting is impressive certainly like coming back from spinal stenosis and at as at his age but the booking which is like, nuts when you pair crazy. those like either of those things on their own is nuts and yeah. you put them together here's the 63 year old coming back with spinal stenosis and he's and i i'd i'd really be curious like what his process is like when he knows he's got a match coming up, how much time does he need to get ready for it? And what's the, on the other side of it, the recovery period, like this is his fourth match this year. As I'm looking this up, he had one in January, which was Darby and sting against the acclaimed. Then there was the tornado match at revolution, which was insanity. And then several weeks later was that tornado match on TV that had Jeff doing the swanton off the, uh, off the ledge in the lobby. And then this one. So he hasn't had a match in three months before before tonight. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, these matches are crazy because of everything else that's going on around the match, too. And we just maybe happen to think about the things thing spot because they make it the most memorable spot of the match. And it also, in many cases, is, you know, just, again, seeing this a person of his age, his star star level um, doing some of this stuff. It, it's just it's it's weird but incredibly effective and the crowd reactions are almost always incredibly intense. So sting continues to just be a highlight. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a credit to not just the performer, but also the people that are putting these matches together and participating in them with him. I love seeing ELP here with the bucks. I I mean, just watching, I think, you know, Phantasmo in new Japan, he feels very much like a bit of a reincarnation of the bucks in, in their bullet club forms. And to kind of see the three of them together, their personalities mesh perfectly. So it was fun. Then they announced their return to Arthur Ashe Stadium on September 21st for Grand Slam, where they will do Dynamite and Rampage uh, from uh, from New York City again. And on the broadcast, we did not get an announcement for All Out, although there was like a banner inside Mm -hmm. of the arena that you could see that was promoting Sunday, September 4th for All Out. But Mm -hmm. no official like commercial or announcement about their next pay-per-view. No, but the fact that, the, you know, they put such a big banner in a Chicago arena, like I feel like all but tells you, hey, like expect this in Chicago. You know? Yes. And what, what do you expect for Arthur Ashe Stadium the second time around? Do you see it being like a similar level of like amount of tickets that they sell? I do. Yeah. I mean, this feels like in many cases, like the biggest dynamite of the year. Right. Um, how many people does it sit, John? Like. Um, I, like, like they did, they did around 20, like close to 20, right? Over 20, over even? 20. As, wow. as I recall. 
I mean, that's bigger than many of these pay-per-views. So I, I definitely think you would expect a, a title match and you know, something significant for Claudio Castagnoli. Yeah, that's right. I'm just looking it up here. 21,177 is what they drew. 18,300 paid was mm-hmm. what they did last September for that. So that that's kind of the numbers that you're shooting for. That was also the hottest month in the history of AEW. In Punk. Uh, you had Punk. Month. Yes, exactly. Right after his, his arrival and Danielson and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Shivani's with Shota Umino, and he's interrupted by Jericho and 2.0. Jericho says that Umino earned his respect, and as Menard and Parker are talking to him, Jericho n- hits him with a fireball. And leaves him. This was good. Like I thought. I, 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 I feel we're gonna it. get Jericho and Umino on on TV potentially. I, I, if Umino is around and like to do it, you know, in a week or two. If, if New Japan is smart, they will loan Shota Umino for his second excursion to AEW because they will make a star out of that guy in ways that New Japan cannot. Can you okay. guys also take Master Wato and redo? Because that <laughs> didn't go according take, to. Can you guys just lines. fix them? <laughs> That's this guy, I don't know what the hell happened to this guy because he used to be fantastic. <laughs> it's another interesting question, actually. The the idea of like Young Lion excursions to AEW in the future that that's a possibility now. You would think. Um, I th- I think so. If, if if it's opened up and the way it used to be for ROH, yeah. yeah. I mean, you'd probably be restricted to like a lot of dark matches, and then you know, hopefully, they can get booked on other indies and stuff. Like, it's not a place mm-hmm. you're going to get you know tons of. Um, exposure on television but you know you you can do dark matches you can do other indies like there is a certainly a scene to be had over here thunder rosa against tony storm for the women's championship it started slow and and taz was very into the slow start and talking about how much he loves this and it was it was actually like very good he was just talking about like the strategy uh, of each they're trading slaps and forearms as it starts to heat up and Rosa is in control, but starts to get frustrated when Tony kicks out of a Northern Light suplex and Rosa blocks a tornado DDT off the apron and they kind of just like get onto the floor and then she turns it into a Northern Lights. And then several moments later, like they go through a few more moves and then Tony goes back to the tornado DDT on the floor. So I don't know if they were supposed to hit it the first time, but it was pretty seamless. It was a were. good recover if it if it was a mess up. Like the, the, they didn't the just Northern do it Lights. immediately. Like they did a whole set of like moves and then went back to it. So it's like you're not yeah. really um like the Northern Lights it. seemed instantaneous to the point where I felt like it was intentional. So I didn't even question it. Thunder Rosa got a fire thunder driver with a near fall, and she's stunned. She kicks away at Tony's shoulder and then catches a kick and a German to Thunder Rosa, and she can't lift her up for the Storm Zero because of her shoulder. And then all of a sudden, Thunder Rosa just hits uh, Dustin Rhodes' final reckoning and pins Tony Storm at 10 minutes and 41 seconds, retaining the championship. Uh, I, I thought this was a good match. I, I think you could see like like the audience was not into this as they had been some of the previous matches with the stars. But um, the only thing I, I saw is like the, the ending just kind of came abruptly for me. I mean, the, the yeah, the final reckoning, I don't, I don't think is a move she's known for, at least to my knowledge. You know, I don't know if this was like kind of her way of just, you know, establishing, hey, this is my big finisher. Unless she's won it with it before and I just haven't realized. Uh, I could be wrong. But um crowd didn't necessarily react as big for it. I think as the Fire Thunder driver, which is a devastating looking move. Especially the way Tony Storm took it, like I had, I was really scared. Like it's basically like it's like the Rikishi driver type of thing. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and it's a very scary landing. So um, maybe that got the bigger reaction, but I really enjoyed the match. You know, and when we're talking about like the AEW women's roster, this is one of the more high level matches that you are going to get in terms of star power, in terms of in-ring experience. And I thought these two absolutely delivered in particular Thunder Rosa, who looked to me on a different level of intensity and aggression in this match. She was on fire and I thought everything she did looked awesome. Um, and another course, great, uh, uh, walkout outfit. Yes. Another one. Yeah, absolutely. She goes uh, all out for these pay-per-views. Well, last time it was to uh, raise funds, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is, you know, something tied into it. Like this is a really, mm-hmm. uh, impressive looking outfit. She had great looking out. outfits, but I mean, obviously it took an opponent on the other end, like a Tony storm, who again, I think is incredibly compelling to watch. These were two people who are not afraid to hit, hit, hit each other incredibly hard. And uh, on a show that is very much based in uh, strong style professional wrestling, I think they were very welcome. Um, I it was one of the like pay per view you know women's uh, title defenses that I think I've really enjoyed. So to me, Rosa feels like she's actually starting to enter the ter- territory where she feels like the lead actress in this company rather than just somebody holding the belt next to Britt Baker. Um, where do you think Tony Storm goes after this? I, I hope they have some kind of program in mind because I, like, I, I really hope that she's not just the challenger of the month and now takes this background role. Cause I, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of, you know, where some of the women's challengers have found themselves. Like you get your, your four to six week program, then you have the title match and then it's, you, you disappear for a while and it's kind of until your number gets called again, you're sort of forgotten about. So I'm, I'm hoping that like Tony storm should be a regular and, uh, whether that's finding uh, something involving Jade or, but like the baddies kind of have their thing going now with Athena and Chris Statlander. So mm-hmm. that becomes the, the like, I, I don't see much of a continuation with this, with, with Thunder Rosa. This was, they didn't really have much of a story going into this other than, you know, Storm she grabbed was, the belt. She had earned a title shot and she was, she's the next challenger. That was mm-hmm. the story. Yeah, I, I think she's a big enough star that you can do a storyline even without a championship. And I'd like to see AEW do a lot more of that, you know, stories without just that, for either title. Jim Ross comes out for the next match and Kevin Kelly proclaims my old boss. And he sits down and uh, Jim Ross was on here for the uh, the final four matches. Yeah, Taz's old boss, too, of course. He, Taz said um, a lot of people's old boss. Not Excalibur's old boss. No, I don't think so. Excalibur was his own boss. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. So it's Will Ospreay and Orange Cassidy for the IWGP United States Championship. Ospreay is out with Aussie Open. And Kevin Kelly is explaining the whole United States title situation with Juice Robinson. And JR says, how about we start talking about the wrestling that we're about to see? Point taken and we're <laughs> moving on to the match. <laughs> Enough Jeez. of this backstory. I mean, in fairness, it is pretty confusing if you have not been paying attention and all this stuff. Why does Juice have the title that he lo- that he is not the champion of? He's talking about the appendicitis it's, and everything. Conf- it is confusing, but I think I, I think it deserves to be at least you know mentioned, don't you think? Like, why is he not holding the belt, and why are you showing Juice? Robinson well, it's a long story, and I don't think it's a great story. So oh, I mean, yeah. it's like okay, yep, this is all it. And uh, Jim Ross, he had to keep us on time. Okay, there's only so much satellite time. It, it's it's been. I mean, if if this show has been plagued with injuries, this championship is you know has been plagued just as much. So yeah, yeah you don't hard uh, to explain. you don't want this title. So uh, Juice. Uh, El Fantasmo and Hikuleo were showing, uh, watching in, in the box 
but that, that was their involvement. Cassidy starts with his hands in the pockets and then does a multiple revolution tilt-a-whirl head scissors, sending Will to the floor, and then he does Will's pose in the center uh, in, in his way, which was very uh, funny. Osprey, this is where he runs around the ring and he blasts Cassidy into the guardrail. Just insane. And then it's it's Will in control for a long period of time. He puts him in an abdominal stretch and he reaches down and puts his hand in Cassidy's pocket and then pulls it out and he's got the middle finger for the crowd. We're like, oh, that's so mean. And he's getting all this heat from the crowd. Cassidy puts his hands back in his pockets and lands the drop kick. And he does his version of the Kawada kicks, like these light Kawada kicks. But then he fires up and hits him with the real ones. And Taz is explaining it's not about not trying to hurt you. It's psyching you out to, like, explain this. I like that we've gotten to the point where this, like, indie GCW, like, one-note gimmick, um, like, is being... like explained and justified as strategy by Taz, you know, great. Yeah. They do this in judo all the time. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he bashes Will's head into the corner camera where it just goes black. Cause we're, we're from the perspective of like the, the, the corner cam, they knocked the camera out. Yeah. Dislodged it. It's like, yeah, I can't shot. believe we haven't seen this done before, but it was... Well, those uh, things are expensive, that's why. I guess you go all out on, on your big pay-per-view here. And then Cassidy pretends to be hurt while Will is still on the turnbuckle getting his bearings. And he goes for a moonsault, misses, tries another one, misses, and then hits a standing shooting star, goes off the turnbuckle. And this sequence ends with a beach break for a near fall. My mind was blown here, okay? Like... At the, at the, like, this, whatever psychology there was supposed to be. Cause, like, I don't know exactly why, like, why was, uh, like, why was, uh, Orange Cassidy lying down? Was he going for, like, an Eddie, he was going for, like, some sort of Eddie Guerrero thing, right? Yeah. I think the idea was that he was going to, like, play possum. Um, and then but he still, the he still got kind of outsmarted because he hit, got hit with this shooting star press, but then Osprey went back onto the turnbuckle and then landed on the knees. So, so that's, I guess, that this is the brilliance, John. This was a mini chess game that we saw. So here we have Orange Cassidy thinking, I'm going to outsmart this guy using the Eddie Guerrero trick. Will Osprey is saying, oh, he's going for the Eddie Guerrero trick. I'm going to go for a double jump moonsault. So when he moves oh, so out of the way, you, I'm going to hit him the second he knew. time. He knew. He knew, obviously. Oh, okay. Yeah. He planned for the double jump moonsault. And then when, when Cassidy avoided the second jump, he went for the third, like with the shooting star press. And then even after that, he goes back up top and then Orange Cassidy gets the last laugh by, you know, well, then, getting the knees up. By your definition, based on, on that observation and the fact that Cassidy ducked the hidden blade, both guys have eyes in the back of their head. Completely. Yes. So then he, Orange Cassidy leaps into a cutter. There's an Oz cutter for a two. The crowd is going electric by this point. Cassidy ducks the hidden blade. The Stormbreaker gets countered into a Rana where Cassidy hooks the legs. The crowd totally buys into it. And then Osprey hits the hidden blade and Cassidy kicks out and they go, they lose their minds on this kick out. And like the hidden blade, like they have. Will start to have like kickouts for the hidden mm. blade, but it's still a finisher that everyone bites on and mm. then finishes him with the Stormbreaker in 16 minutes and 47 seconds. At this point, I'm watching this. I'm like, this is like show of the year candidate. Yeah. Yeah. In succession, all of these matches on the main card. Um, I think this might have been my match of the night, John. Like this was incredible. I think it might have been a lot of people's. It, yeah. it was incredibly fast and a great reminder that none of us should be looking down on Orange Cassidy simply because of his gimmick. 
underneath the gimmick is an incredible professional wrestler and he proved it here with will osprey i mean yes he was he was up against like you know the 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 mercedes uh of of you know professional wrestlers in will osprey but i think you can really appreciate orange cassidy because like they perfected his gimmick in that like they only bring it out in small enough doses to still you know make him uh, uh memorable while at the same time never taking away from his babyface fire his great comebacks and his appeal as a serious threat um it might have been the best orange cassidy match i've seen this was excellent it was just a tremendous match my <laughs> this was one of my favorite lines maybe on any broadcast this whole year so ozzy open run out and they're attacking osprey or sorry they're attacking cassidy and they tear his jean pockets and Jim Ross goes, as if he can't buy more jeans. Oh, fuck. And he lets it pause. <laughs> symbolic. <laughs> this is symbolic. As if he can't go and buy more I think, jeans. I think Jim Ross would be a great heel commentator for AEW, for GCW. Like, he should be, he should go to GCW and be the heel commentator. Like, making fun of every, all this bullshit. Him calling, like, the, the, the clusterfuck would be the best thing in the world. I do not see an invisible man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Rapongi Vice then run down <laughs> and they make the save. And then all of a sudden they hear the music and dude, this place loses their mind. It's Katsuyori Shibata. He comes out and dude just kills Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher on the ramp. And he gets into the ring with Osprey and they start to go at it. And he drills this dude with a pump kick. Boots Davis off of the apron and a baseball slide drop kick to Osprey. Applies the rear naked choke when Ozzy open pull Will to the floor and leave as Shibata is just sitting there cross-legged. And Orange Cassidy comes into the ring. They have a face-to-face and he puts the, the, the glasses onto Shibata. And Cassidy does the thumbs pose. And, and Shibata really liked this. He was like totally into it. Guy smiled. <laughs> Did he smile? He smiled because they cut away and then they were like, go back, go back. There's more. And Shibata was just kind of like playing it up and stuff with with Cassidy in the ring. I don't know how much playing up there was, though, because yeah, this whole thing at the end was a little bit confusing. First of all, like what a reaction, you know, and, and what a wonderful surprise for, for this crowd to see like somebody who is rarely seen in a professional wrestling. It was kind of the set. only like, like other than what we'll get to the next match. But mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of like. Someone showing up as a surprise, like, you know, we, we, we had, we had the, the talk about, do you do something with punk on this show or an Omega? And they left it to Shibata. Like this was kind of your lone kind of unadvertised appearance of someone notable. And I wonder if this one was simply like, oh, Shibata's hanging out in the back anyway with all LA Dojo guys. Um, Tony Khan, maybe just like, do you want to do something with uh, Orange Cassidy? I don't know. That'll be fun. And he just comes out. They got, they got his music and. Great moment here. This felt like an angle they were shooting with Osprey, though. You're well. right. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there's more to it. Like they did enough but, here, uh, uh, though. As as history has dictated, yeah. Shibata sometimes is uh, can play fast and loose and and set up matches that have no intention of being made. So absolutely, there's that, and that's what I was wondering about with this awkwardness in this Orange Cassidy exchange here. Like I think in AEW's mind or in the announcer's mind or Tony Khan's mind, this segment was to end with the sunglasses. And then for whatever reason, like Shibata calls Orange Cassidy back into the ring. And then like we cut back to it and it's like, I don't know if like Cassidy knew what was going on. They didn't. It's not like they posed again. It, it like Shibata almost ended up looking disappointed that Cassidy 
didn't want to engage in something like did Shibata just want to like fight more or something like that? Um, go rogue, <laughs> like on on an AW Slap show. Me. Yeah, I don't know. This part was a bit weird, but interesting. Well. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. Their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Zack Sabre Jr. comes out, and then the music plays, and out comes Claudio Castagnoli to um, just a thunderous, thunderous reaction. And he's got a new theme uh, that Mikey Ruckus described as 1812 Overture meets Andrew W.K. And this theme is called Uppercut Swingfinny. Okay, interesting. Yes, I'll get used to it. What'd you think of uh, the the reaction here that he got? This was huge. You know, despite the fact that I think everybody knew what was going on, um, it reminded me very much of the CM Punk thing, you know, like everybody knew it, but once it happened and you got to see the visual confirmation, this crowd reacted as big as I think if it was a surprise. Um, It still brings to mind the question, like whether or not they should have announced beforehand, like whether or not it would have ultimately helped the buy rate a bit more. Or if like keeping in the surprise was it had other benefits that we're not necessarily thinking about. If if the buys come in low, do do you think that that would like like let's say it's it's something like one ten, okay? Mm-hmm. Do, do you think like Claudio would have made enough of a difference, or do you think that the surprise and that that intrigue meant meant more now that we have yeah. seen what what it all t- ultimately was? Uh, his name is interesting because like I don't think he he's certainly not at the level of star of a, of a Brian or a CM Punk you know in WWE so like how big of an attraction to the mainstream is he going to be but is he the difference between like you know 110 to 135 for instance for like a you know a diehard AEW fan maybe I don't it, it's hard for me to say yeah like yeah I, I think there's a way you could have set it up on Wednesday that this would have been really in, like one of the bigger things going into the show that you knew but at the same time, if if I'm someone that's been following all this, and by Wednesday, I'm not buying this pay per view, yeah. I don't know if that announcement is changing my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, good point. But it's uh, like that's what you're debating here. Like the the surprise we we've seen, like that that intrigue sometimes it, it does work. But this is also a company that has done a quite quite a bit. Also, the speculation of like who it's going to be, I think, is always fun. Like, it, and it's always good for just people talking about your show. I imagine. Yeah, well, th- this one to me, it was like it was two names for most people, and mm-hmm. I don't think it was going to be anyone else. Um, but we were still asking the question, you know, like who is it going to be? Like, and Shibata runs out and makes it a three-way. That him in the Blackpool Combat Club, him in the Blood and Guts. Yeah, I would sign up for that. He's already faced Zach once. You know, this is a rematch. This yeah. would be a rematch. Yeah. So it's it's a huge reaction he receives, and then they started off running European uppercut and Ricola bomb. And he gets a two count. And I'm sure there were people that thought, man, they're just going to have He hit the neutralizer, actually. It was the, the, the WWE. You're right. You're right. This yeah. was the, the neutralizer. And they called mm-hmm. it the, the recall bomb. And gets the two count. And the crowd is just amped right away, thinking that it was going to end that quickly. 
and Claudio runs into the rail, missing the European uppercut. So Zach goes after the knee. He applies a Fujiwara. He's twisting at the arm and applies a trial. Pretty much whatever Claudio would go to do, Zach just had a submission ready and was just going to wear this guy down. And he applies this triangle. They go over the top rope, and Zach keeps it applied. So then eventually Claudio, with the triangle applied, and this is doable. I did this all the time in jiu-jitsu. Sure. Walked up the steps with the triangle and then just dumps them into the ring. I would love to show this spot to like an MMA like analyst. Like I would show this to Robin Black and be like, "Can you? Uh, what do you think of this?" No, I'm not, and I'm not joking. Like I'm not shitting on it. It was awesome. Like you're taking- exactly. And I think you and me are probably going to have the exact same point here. Way is that some of the people who get like so up in arms about like realism, yeah. This is not realistic, and it was fucking very cool, fun, and exactly. creative, and and, and he, no one no one was complaining about this being uh, unrealistic, and it just shows you like a character like a Claudio uh, can do stuff like this, and a guy like an Orange Cassidy, he has to do so much more that he has to get over this stigma with people, and it's just it's silly. I'll tell you why it's. I think everybody should be impressed by this. It's because it's an incredibly impressive physical feat to lift somebody like with one arm, like to even lift somebody in a triangle position is it requires a great deal of strength to first of all, successfully complete the roll over the top rope while still keeping the position is incredible to pick them up again and walking through the locking up the steps to throw the guy out like is is mind blowing and, and just so incredibly like fun. You know, maybe Zach's got to work on his triangle, though. That That is a conclusion you can come to. It's, it's fine. Sure. Claudio calls for the swing, uh, but Zach goes to a guillotine. And this was great. The way they just teased the swing and Zach was constantly avoiding it. And as Zach applies the octopus, Bryce is counting. And Kevin Kelly brings up that Zach knows that Bryce is not going to call for a, a disqualification here. So he can just keep going. And Excalibur brings up, I know that Claudio has a New Japan World subscription. He knows all about Zach. And the crowd boos as Zach continues to avoid the swing and finally hits it. And the crowd starts to count, but then he has to let go because of his arm. So he's, he, he is selling the, the effects of the submissions and he goes for a sharpshooter. It's countered to a heel hook. Claudio goes back to the sharpshooter into a double stomp. And then Zach is using up kicks, attacks the arm and traps it, goes to the mat and it's, it, there's a rope break and we get kicks to the chest of Claudio and he just eats them over and over. Going for yes kicks. Yeah, as a shout out to Brian. Yeah, as Zach is hitting him with them, and then the first attempt at the Ricola bomb is countered into a European clutch for a two count pop up uppercut, and then discus lariat and hits the Ricola bomb in 18 minutes and 28 seconds, and Claudio wins his AEW debut. Oh, great match! And if this was people's match of the night, I, I would totally understand. This had sort of like the freshness and the specialness attached to it of you know I think the great debuts. In you know, um, uh, 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 of, a, of a long time ago, for somebody like Claudio, I think so often we we think of like, is it? It seems kind of rare that we get like debut matches that are complete surprises, right? Usually, people come in, they'll have like a little segment, they'll like show their face, they might cut a promo, but for a guy to just step in and to step in in a you know very much a dream match scenario here between Claudio and, and Zach, this was like their version of like 
the closest of like Seth and Cody this year that you could compare it to. Sure. Like a yeah. match that had no build up and they mm-hmm. had to come out. And like I said, when that match happened, like when you debut, it's sort of like everyone gets it out of their system, the surprise pop, but yeah. then you've got to get them a second time for a mm-hmm. match. And they went 18 here, just yeah. like Cody and Seth went long. That's why I was so impressed with the mania match that they had a, a tremendous match. And that's after like this crowd spent themselves on just the big pop that, Oh my God, Cody's here. This was the yeah. same with, with Claudio here. And then you, you had to keep them uh, like, really engaged for another 18 and a half minutes. You certainly do have the crowd on your side when they're already interested and engaged in the match. But I mean, for that reason, pressures are arguably that much bigger, you know, for you to not just deliver a good match, but a great match. And I thought these two did that. It was a wonderful way to debut Claudio Castagnoli on such a big stage. He comes out of this looking like such a big deal. Um, And, you know, uh, he looked amazing, you know, fully unleashed here going against another person who's like, if there's any disappointment in me, it's that it's the fact that I'm a Zach fan and that like some of the specialness to like Brian versus Zach has been taken away a little bit because, well, hey, his buddy beat him. Right. But still, like this was a match that I don't think you would have had. You could have had any other finish. But like, you know, having Claudio debut to win. I, th- was I think it was a lot. A- this was a really hard match to, to book, knowing mm-hmm. the match you want to get to and what were your options here. Like beating yeah. Claudio to me was not the answer because you've mm-hmm. got blood and guts this week and he's the new the, the new debuting star. I think once we get to Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr., I yeah. think everyone's interest will be at the exact same level it was before this one. I'm not too concerned about that. But Agreed. but it was an issue going going into this one. Um then um Backstage, uh, Claudio was interviewed and uh, Yoshihashi walked in and welcomed him uh, here to Chicago. And then Claudio hit him with a fireball and said, I'm taking your spot in the G1. I was like, "Okay, perfect. Now everything's perfect. He's also Um, a wizard. Could you have imagined? That was honestly uh, the first thing I thought when this this guy came out. I was like, how can this guy get into the G1? You know, um. I'm guessing for guys like him, um, he probably wants to maximize his bump card, you know, for the remainder of his career. And is G1 the most necessary thing for his career at this point? Uh, we will see what his um, what, what his um, frequency is going to be. He's yeah. got another match on Wednesday. So we will see how, it, how he uh, turns things around. IWGP title match was a second from the top with Jay White, Kazuchika Okada, Adam Cole, and Hangman Page enormous reaction for Okada. He came out here and it was just deafening uh, mm-hmm. for his entrance in particular. And uh ghetto is out with Jay white and we've got uh new Japan legend, Rick Knox as the fifth man in the ring for this, for this match. And I think. Be- I, yeah. Why was he doing this one? I, I mean, he is like one of their lead referees, but not like it, it was just strange because they've gone so out of their way for our, all the ROH title matches to have the authentic uh, people. And yeah. for, for this, it was, um, yeah, it just seemed like uh, a little odd not having uh, a New Japan referee for an IWGP title match. But nonetheless, um, the bell rings. This crowd is chanting, holy shit. So it's like for, for all the uh, the complaints about this four way and some of them were valid. Like this crowd, they treated this like a massive match to them yes. with the four once it began. Mm-hmm. And it really elevated the whole feel of it. Like for, for big title matches, I'm not a big fan of uh, multi-man three ways, four ways. Uh, but that's what you got here. Cole suggests that him and Jay White work together, stating it's the only chance that we'll have. So we got a bit of them double teaming uh, until Adam Cole would finally uh, turn on him. Um, 
you know, midway through the match. Okada did his running cross body onto White and Cole over the barricade. Uh, Page did a moonsault and was caught with Cole's super kick. These two have an incredible amount of trust with one another to do this spot over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hit him flush, it looked like. <laughs> For all of the fanfare that Okada received on Wednesday and coming out tonight and when it started, he applied this money clip to Adam Cole. And, dude, this is the coldest move in the world. This crowd, not one person reacted to the money clip. This is a crowd that, like, reacted for Desperado, El Desperado, as if he, he was a big star. So, like, this is a crowd that's familiar with what's been going on in, in New Japan. And they don't give a fuck. This is about the stupid uh, money clip thing. It's it's it's. He, he, I'm glad to see he's kind of moved on from it as like you know like his closing sequence move at least. I think everyone associates the money clip with balloon era Okada, and it's just an yeah. era they they would rather forget. Yeah. Other than the pants, the pants was uh you know met I think semi favorably. Uh, the alliance ends when Cole hits White with a backstabber and Ushiguroshi, and then White hits the uh, the Hase Uranagi and a sleeper suplex. Then he hits one to Okada, one to Hangman. K- Cole hits the boom, Okada drop kick, and it ends with a page discus lariat. So all four are down. Orihara moonsault to Cole and Okada on the floor, and then Page sets up for the buckshot when Ghetto grabs him by the leg. And he just drops Ghetto. And that was all we had of Ghetto. He just got punched and he was dead. White ducks the buckshot and there's a Blade Runner that gets avoided. Page hits the dead eye and sets up again for the buckshot. Hits it. And this time it's Okada making the save. Okada and Page are alone in the ring and the buckshot gets stopped when Cole yanks Page to the floor and sends him into the post. And Okada hits a big elbow off the top to Cole. Does the Rainmaker pose and Cole obliterates Okada and Page with super kicks and gets hit with two drop kicks himself, the landslide, and then Cole is getting set up for the Rainmaker and he just kind of collapses rather than taking the Rainmaker. He ducks Jay- it. He- like he does like the Kenny, you know, duck slash collapse. Like it almost yeah. looked intentionally like he was ducking it, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it, it looked like Cole here was, you know, rocked here from from something, and he just goes down, and White comes in and just hits Okada with the Rainmaker, but then pulls Cole and pins him, and they just end it at 21 minutes and one second, and it is, uh, I, I guess people were, we didn't get to see it on camera, but those there were, you know, it, it looked like Adam Cole was hurt here at the end, but did leave uh, on, on his own power. Because the way the finish, like you would have thought it would have gone, would be he takes the Rainmaker, mm-hmm. White comes in, and Blade Runner to Okada, and then pins Cole. And Cole yeah. is the one who takes the cover, but was not hit with the Rainmaker. Yeah, absolutely. It was confusing. It confused everybody at home, certainly confused everybody watching live. You could see it. It was a very unfortunate, flat, confusing ending to what was otherwise a tremendous fatal four-way match. It was very good. And I mean, I I think you have a lot of sympathy when there's, you know, potential injury here that, you know, probably threw this whole finish out of whack. So we are doing this, this show right after uh, it ended. So we're, we're not able to like, you know, uh, see any comments that might've been said, but um, if you guys do find out before we do, uh, please let us know in the chat room. If uh, Tony Khan or anybody else said anything official about what exactly happened here, but um, just talking about the match itself. I'll be the first to say that I was wrong about the appeal of this four-way. I was somebody who was wanting, you know, a singles match. I think for on on paper, you always want like a title to be defended in more of a singles capacity. But I'm also not taking into account that, 
it's these four. I also don't love Kazuchika Okada singles title defenses that I've seen often go way too long with his type of style that I've gotten very sick of. So to see Kazuchika Okada in this fatal four-way setting, which New Japan never does, in a pace that is nonstop, has no time for rest spots except for that little bit of a money clip, and has great storytelling in the form of like, you know, uh, Jay and Cole wanting to team up together, and Paige and Okada just wanting to face each other. Um, this whole thing as like an American style multi man match was wonderful. And I thought like used Okada's star power and his professional wrestling abilities to like great, great value. It, it was such a joy to watch, such a shame up at the ending. Yeah, I mean, that's. You know, sometimes uh, that happens to me. It didn't. It didn't ruin the match, but it was an unfortunate ending um, yeah. at, at the at the end of everything here. But yeah, I mean, this was one that you know I thought we were going to get a very good match, but I mean, for, for the majority of it, it it over delivered, and that's just coming from someone that like I just. I'm not as big a fan. You, you have to do a lot for these like four ways to really grab me, but th- this one did. They, I, I feel like we've. I, I always tend to uh, uh, like underestimate them too. But when I think back on it, like a lot of the best matches of ever are like three ways, you know, like, like triple threat matches, like, you know, like WrestleMania 20 or like uh, Joe Daniels and, and, and AJ, like those are, might be all matches that I'm, I wasn't looking forward to as much as like maybe a singles encounter for storytelling purposes, but in, in, in execution, like this was absolutely great. It also like, because like the last time I saw Paige and Okada in the ring, Paige was, you know, in the G1 and nothing but sort of like the lackey in the Bullet Club, right? Or at least in the elite. Now he's every bit the equal of Kazuchika Okada, at least, you know, in front of an AEW crowd. And that just kind of tells you how much he's developed, how much of a great job they've done with him um, to put him up on this level. It also showed me just how good Jay White translates to like an American audience. He fits in so well with this AEW bunch. His personality feels so strong. Uh, and his in-ring style, I think it works great for these sort of short burst matches. And as well, I think it's worth pointing out, like, let, let's say this, th- th- they hit the finish. There was, there was no problem with, with Cole. Like he gets hit with the rainmaker. Then you do, you know, the, the finish the exact same way they do it. Only Cole had taken a rainmaker and it's much more uh, seamless. The, the ending, that's the exact same ending or it, not verbatim, but Jay White retaining and Cole mm-hmm. eating the pin that mm-hmm. people were so critical of. And if they hit the ending on this one, I don't think you're getting a lot of people complaining, even no. though that was the outline that so many people were down on that this was so predictable. So I think that also tells you something that, you know, you do have to leave some room for for execution, even though it doesn't sound like the most inspired outline of a match. But yeah. this, if save for a, an ending that went awry due to a potential injury, they hit it and I don't see any complaints about this match. It's really hard to complain about a match this good, you know, like, and I think that that always reminds you like work rate will always overcome like, you know, maybe lack of interest going into a show. We, we learn that every single week going into like these WWE pay-per-views every single month, I should say. But again, there is something to be said when you're selling a pay-per-view, especially about how much interest there is going into it. Yeah. And could they have, uh, and this one, this one was built up very, very haphazardly and just, you know, very, all over the place when mm-hmm. when you go back to starting this like hangman challenging Okada and from mm-hmm. where it started. So then uh, Jay White just leaves and walks past the Young Bucks and Kyle O'Reilly who are coming down. But this is not an angle. They're just 
going to the ring, presumably to check on Cole. And we never like we don't get any update on Cole and they don't show anything that's going on in the ring. So us, mm-hmm. the viewers at home didn't see any of that. And anything further um, between Jay White and Adam Cole and the, and the elite and, and the Bucks coming off of this. We that's wonder. right. Final match of the night, John Moxley and Hiroshi Tanahashi for the interim AEW championship. I really like this entrance for Moxley where he's coming back through, through the back of the United Center. They pass by, you know, all, all the bulls, uh, tr- like the, uh, the, the, the trophies that they have on the wall, uh, the, like the mural and just walking with Regal. It was a very cool, simple, but very cool entrance and kind of incorporates the United Center into the entrance. And, Uh, Tanahashi comes out, great reception, and we begin, and he's working on the knee, weakening it for the cloverleaf, and then Moxley hits a cutter out of nowhere. I guess it's on loan now, since uh, the other one can't use it at the moment. Um, He's been doing it, but yeah, like, everybody's been doing this move. Everybody that has cutters. The cutter's up for grabs. Uh, Apparently, during this match, uh, security had to remove two people who, like, we're getting into some kind of fight. And then I guess one of the guys tried to fight the security people. And this led to the oh. crowd chanting, you fucked up at these guys. And you're just hearing it uh, as if like they had blown some spot or something, but it wasn't reflective of the match. It was, this was going on like um, 10 minutes into the match or something. Yeah. Unfortunately, it distracted a little bit from the match. Um, idiocy still uh, occurs um, at these shows. Yeah. Moxley puts Tanahashi through a timekeeper's table with a urinagi, but Tanahashi battles back with a sling blade. They started having a discussion if a sling blade is more effective than a clothesline. It's up for debate. What would you rather hit somebody with if, like, your life depended on it? Someone's going for your wallet. I feel like the sling blade is a bit of a softer landing than a clothesline, you know, or depending on the clothesline, obviously. Depends how hard. Yeah. Moxley. uh, Obviously, the answer is a sling blade because... Moxley took this sling blade and he bled buckets from this sling blade. <laughs> he goes to, he rolls to the floor from this sling blade and he comes up and he's a crimson mask. Was there and a literal, literal blade in this sling for them to get this much color off of like a sling blade? One of the I've announcers just asked, how did that happen? And they're thinking, <laughs> maybe they clunked heads and then they're thinking, um, you know, whatever happened here, it's like. So the explanation they came afterwards was um, the stomps, like the. The, the Tanahashi the stomps. Yes. Yeah, the wrist clutch stomps. So, so I mean, even there, that feels far fetched, honestly, like to, yeah. to get sort of that sort of cut. I'll, I'll t- did this match need blood? Not at all. I mean, I, I thought so too. And you've got Wednesday. Like, Wednesday should be have your blood bath on Wednesday. This so match I, did not need it for me. So, I feel like maybe that was part of the thinking, like for the closing visual to, to get us to blood and guts, like to have Moxley full of blood. But I'll maybe. tell you why it didn't work. Tanahashi was the baby face in this. You know, so like to have the aggressor putting on that that hold at the end and like having the baby face be the one that's well, know, maybe maybe they did not envision it being so like by the end of this match, this is like 90 percent pro Tanahashi. And maybe they thought it was going to be more split with Moxley and Tanahashi. But that it would still be like you do faces, but still you're doing that closing spot with Tanahashi nearly passing out. Like he, it felt like it was a match made to have Tanahashi be the underdog. Well, it's certainly the underdog. Uh, he hits him with a bunch of uh, twist and shouts, which um, I mean, who knows what? What damage those could have done? The twist and shouts. I don't know. I mean, after a sling blade, <laughs> trying to kill the man, uh, and then he hits him with the uh, Tanahashi kicks out of 
kind of a version of a paradigm shift, more close to just a straight DDT, and then hits another one, or goes for another, but it's stopped, and Tanahashi hits the Kamagoye on John Moxley, which Kevin Kelly did identify. That's Kota Ibushi's Kamagoye. I mean, he was not subtle about it. Aces high to Moxley. He goes back up for the high fly flow, hits it, but there's a brief delay, and then Moxley kicks out, which still notable um, when he hits the high fly flow clean and goes for the pinfall. Goes to the bulldog choke. Tanahashi is out and uh, or gets out of the submission, and there's a huge lariat. Tanahashi kicks out of at one, and this crowd goes wild. And at this point, they're all behind Tanahashi. He's eating elbows. Goes to the rear naked choke. This whole crowd they're chanting "Go Ace." It was quite the scene of how mm-hmm. much they were behind Tanahashi, and he applies the bulldog choke. Tanahashi gets to his feet. They're rooting for him, and he's hit with the death rider and pinned in 18 minutes and 17 seconds. Um, I'm not going to say this was was match of the night, but I, I still found it to be a really compelling match. And I just thought both guys were great. But man, Tanahashi is somebody that we will look back on as a just what a special, special talent that is going to be. Um, he will be revered one day by um, by a wrestling nerd tag team like FTR 30 oh, years yeah. from now. And whoever <laughs> like Darby Allen, if he's Tanahashi was right. Book, Yes. Tanahashi's always right. Tanahashi yeah. was right. Yes. Um, that is going to be the level of reverence for a Hiroshi Tanahashi one day. I, I mean, you know, they, they have made the comparison on commentary to Bret Hart, of course. And I think it's a very apt comparison because I think his is a style that you appreciate more and more and more as time goes on. I, I, maybe some, for some people, this might have been their first time watching um, Hiroshi Tanahashi, I guess. And I think if you're expecting like a Will Ospreay type of like spectacular, you know, catch you, um, catch your, I think, um, uh, imagination on on first glimpse. I don't know if he's necessarily that type of wrestler. The same way Bret Hart is in that t- same type of wrestler. But when you like can really kind of watch his matches and get into him and 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 you know feel the crowd reactions and like know the mechanics of like his comebacks. And not to say I know it, I'm not a wrestler, but like there are things that he is able to achieve that I think you know guys who could do multiple flips can't and, and aren't even necessarily working on. Um, so it was like, it, I wouldn't even say it was the best example of that Tanahashi type of match, but like in front of a different crowd and in front of a baby face, like John Moxley for him to elicit this sort of reaction, I thought was very special and, and told you a whole lot about this crowd. Um, I think this was a great showcase for John Moxley. Okay. There's no doubt that I think Punk versus Tanahashi was the more interesting match on paper, probably the match that, you know, would have sold better. But the quality of the match was definitely better with John Moxley in it instead of CM Punk. He has grown so much and he's now so well-rounded. He's like the the fact that he's like in the Blackpool Combat Club has kind of given him a bit more of an excuse to like be a lot more technical with his counters, with his transitions, and with his great like with his submission work. There's so much fluidity to it all to all of it now. You couple that with the aggression in his brawling and his A plus promos, he feels like the most complete wrestler in the entire company. And I'm putting him ahead of Kenny Omega, of CM Punk, of Brian Danielson in that regard because he could do promo so well because he can wrestle it's so many different styles so well um so i thought that it was a tremendous showcase for him yeah i mean it would have been a quite the atmosphere having punk in this situation it would in have in chicago yeah. um yeah. like it it does tell you like the amount of depth that AEW has that they could transition and this was plan b 
I, mm-hmm. I mean, that really does showcase like what you have at your disposal and the fact that you could do this when, and this pay-per-view as a whole with, again, the names that they are absent, like the idea that AEW has CM Punk, Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson, and they're unable to utilize them for, for a pay-per-view like that yeah. would be crippling for some companies. And here they were able to pivot, um, Afterwards, they trade, they exchange words and they shake hands. And then Jericho and Daniel Garcia run down to attack. Eddie Kingston is down, followed by Yuta, Santana, and Ortiz, and then the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society. And you know where it's going. The last person to come out to his music is Claudio. And he goes after Jericho, delivers European uppercuts to everyone. Regal makes his way down. And Angelo Parker takes the swing. And we got to see a Claudio swing. With only four camera cuts. It was so weird. Wow. It was so weird not to have a cut on every half <laughs> rotation of the person. Or, or and zoom, the camera zooming in and out. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, and then Kingston is on the floor and he spits at Claudio and he just storms off and Excalibur's explaining how they loathe one another. Yeah, that's really interesting, too. I mean, that's sort of backstory I'm not really privy to, but it, it seems similar to the whole Brian Danielson thing. So it makes this whole you know, storyline that much more deeper. And the show ends with wild thing. And JR saying we're running out of satellite time and they close the show at 1146 PM for someone that was so, um, uh, vocal about the length and pacing of double or nothing. I found tonight's show to be, I, I didn't find any downtime. I didn't find any point where I was like sinking in my energy level, I thought the pacing was terrific on this show. And this was still a card that went four hours and 46 minutes. I had the same reaction and I I can't even really vocalize why that is. Cause like there was no downtime in between these matches. Like I think there was still some of the same complaints in that, like, Oh, they cut right away after this ending to the next thing. So you don't really have enough time to digest. It's always onto the next graphic, always onto the next thing. Um, Very minimal video packages. And um, there's just a novelty, I think, to like, you know, ultimately maybe seeing these like first time encounters that still felt incredibly special, despite how, you know, we might might have kind of lamented the the card that we ultimately had once we're in there. And after seeing the quality of these matches, it's very difficult to, like, not be excited about uh, both companies coming out of it. But like, there's something incredibly special when you pair the two of them together. And this is very different from, I think, the ROH New Japan Pro Wrestling relationship because because the disparity in star power was so great here. AEW has stars, at least, you know, to this audience. And I would say on a global level at this point. Meanwhile, the same reverence that this crowd had for New Japan during those ROH shows remains. And so we have a lot of homegrown talent now that is on the level, if not greater, you know, let's be honest, than New Japan. Uh, So it made for a real started show and and a a feeling that felt very special. Um, So... Just before we get to the feedback, so afterwards, um, they have announced the next ROH pay-per-view will be Death Before Dishonor on July 23rd, and as well, uh, Tony Khan, uh, this is transcribed by Fightful, uh, said, the show was a big success, we had ticket sales of over 1.1 million, uh, and he goes on to say... Um, the pay-per-view, I said if we hit 100,000 worldwide buys, I would feel it's a big success, and I feel very comfortable now based on the early digital numbers saying we did 100,000 buys and more. I feel great about that. So, yeah, interesting, that, 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 interesting that that's his barometer for success. You know? it, it tells you they were obviously expecting like this was going to be 
not in the range of where their recent pay-per-views have been. And I, and mm-hmm. I think that that was a reasonable expectation as, especially as we got closer to this show and you are losing, like, I think losing punk is, is bigger than people. Oh yeah. W- and tribute. Like that's, that's a big hit that you take oh, to yeah. a show like this. And that has helped lift you. Like, like punk has been your number one guy that has mm-hmm. helped lift your pay-per-views to that level. So you take that out. Um, Again, my, my kind of number is like 115, and I think you, if you top 115, I think you, you should be really happy with that. And I guess for Tony, his number was 100. I also wonder if, like, this is a really strange show, I think, to compare because you're talking about half a roster on the show that has zero national American TV exposure. So you're relying on the people who have warm, fuzzy memories about New Japan Pro Wrestling from years back. And, you know, at this point, it's like some of your biggest hardcore fans and people who just maybe, I don't know, are going by AEW's goodwill or may, might have somehow been interested in from watching the Dynamites uh, in the three weeks preceding to this. Well, that so, would be the argument. It's like you've had four weeks of national television to sell this show. Yeah, it's tough, though. It's tough without the talent present and without knowing the card, honestly, because like they, they don't know who is going to be available. So. Considering all the handicaps, I mean, I, I guess I can understand why he would peg, you know, 100,000 as, as a success. I think they'll do b- above that. All right. Let's get into uh, Super Chats calls. We've gone uh, very late already. Yes, we have. There's a lot to talk about, but uh, we go to some of you guys first. Who says, uh, uh, first here, MJ in our Super Chats. Thank you very much, MJ, for the Super Chat. He says, I will tell my kids Shota Umino is Hiroshi Tanahashi. Okay. He's same got a ways to go, but uh, okay. Similar look. Absolutely. Bruce Lord, thank you so much for the $5 Super Chat, Bruce. He says, between Shapada and Claudio's appearances, every qualm I had about the show's build was instantly forgotten. Fantastic show from from front to back. I would agree with that. We got a Snap Joe who sends $7. Thank you for the support, Snap Joe. He says, flew up from Toronto. Show was a blast. Crowd was so hot. OC versus Osprey was the highlight next to Okada's entrance. Sending good vibes. Thank you for the good vibes, Snap Joe. All right. Uh, you want to go to, to some calls at this point? Sure. Let's do that. All right. Uh, we're going to go to somebody who I think is actually from Chicago. He just joined the room right now. His name is Jake. Jake, did you go to the show tonight? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm currently in my car, uh, just coming out of the arena uh, for Forbidden Door tonight. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. And so I got to say, uh, considering the, the you can argue the, the somewhat underwhelming build to the show, especially in the go-home, uh, the go-home dynamite, uh, I would say they overdelivered uh, for my ex- uh, my expectations, and I, w- I would say an almost perfect show tonight. Yeah, we would agree with those sentiments, and it seems to be the the case with at least some of the earlier uh, reports we've seen. Um, is there anything about like maybe the live setting that you 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 wonder if if it necessarily conveyed, or that you can ex- uh, th- you know talk to us about that uh, we might not have seen on TV? Yeah, you know uh, when. Uh, regarding the uh, you know the debuts tonight and the and the surprises, uh, we definitely we I, I would say our biggest pop was Katsuyori Shibata uh, when he came out, and uh, especially within my section, uh, we when we first heard uh, those first two notes of his uh, of his song and when his name popped up on the Tron, um, everybody was ecstatic and the roof blew off the place, uh, considering that uh, you, you know Shibata's been out for five years. Um, you know. He's, rarely been around a lot and uh, to, and i was kind of stunned that uh, you know uh people around me uh, uh really uh, immediately recognized him and uh and uh, uh knew him so it was it was such an awesome experience um 
uh, a couple of notes, uh, and then I'll uh, let you guys go go on with it. Is that uh, it's? I, I kind of feel bad in a couple instances um, because uh, during the uh, the triple threat to tag match, um, and unfortunately before uh, before the uh, the finish of the match, uh, when I think it was Rocky when he tried to cover uh, Dax, and then uh, the referee Paul Turner, uh, it seemed like his uh, one of his arms uh, arms hit the mat a little bit, and it seemed like uh, it was. Uh, it mistakenly uh, looked at as a three count as a, as a three count. Uh, unfortunately uh, we were kind of confused, um, confused uh, within my section and, and um, some, some of the other people uh, I'm not including that um, unfortunately uh, said uh, chanted, you fucked up at him, uh, which is kind of uh, yeah, I kind of feel bad at uh, him, but uh, yeah, I mean like uh, we were talking about it. So some of us that uh, some, uh, there might be a couple of ref issues uh, tonight, but uh I mean, overall, it was. Uh, uh, besides that, I was a huge um, uh, fan of the Osprey, um, uh, of the Osprey uh, match uh, with uh, with Orange. Uh, that was my match of the night, and uh, but uh, unfortunately, I wasn't a huge fan of the women's match. Uh, it was uh, it was okay, but it was like kind of theirs. So, other than that, um, uh, yeah, like uh, yeah, I, I had a fun time tonight, and it was really great to uh, be back in a live setting, uh, especially for AEW. So, hope uh, hopefully. Uh, soon that you guys will get that chance uh up in, uh, up in my friend uh you guys uh, for my friends in toronto so uh yeah any other questions you guys have for me uh no i think you did a great job actually of giving us a a little live report there so uh thank you so much for the call jake as always all right thanks so much guys appreciate it <laughs> have a safe trip home uh, all right there's a uh, jake from the windy city checking in right after attending uh forbidden door uh let's go up next to Brandon from New Jersey, uh, or sorry, let's say let's say Brandon from New Jersey. Let's go up next to Hanzi. Oh, what's Hanzi, going on, man? Are you there? Hey, man. Um, yeah, uh, I I gotta say, um, it overexceeded my expectations. I thought it was like a really good show, top to bottom. I know it, it wasn't as long as the other shows, but I I gotta say, by the time the Cole and the um and the um the Cole and the Moxley match happened, whatever. I, I just thought that I, I was kind of getting a little bit tired. I, I wasn't really excited about, like, the four-way. Anyway. Like, it was a good match, but the ending, I know the end. It, it's, it's a shame that what happened to Cole, and I hope he's better and all that. I just didn't really just, feel Just on match. that note, uh, Brian Alvarez has tweeted that Adam, Adam Cole's injury is believed to be a concussion, wishing all the best to him, so, for what it's worth. Um, that's at least one, it was one of the first indications we've, we've heard. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, well, that's, that's good. I, I, I hope he you know, is not out too long, man. It's like too many injuries going on. But uh, I gotta say, my um, my top my top matches were the triple the the, the triple threat, the state the Sting match, uh, the opening match, and Osprey OC was probably the match of the night for me and Claudio and Zack Saber Jr. Um, the, the the only thing is that I, I from the end like for a historic show like this, like I just felt like. You could have just let the brawling br- breathe a little bit, you know what I mean? Otherwise, it would have been a perfect show. I just think I understand they're trying to sell you on a on a on a on a, on a, on a main card or whatever, you know, like on the, like the Wednesday show. I just thought it was like way. I just thought it was way too much, but I I still enjoyed the show. My question before I go with with Kingston kind of having a problem with Claudio. Do you? I can now kind of see like if like something happens during the blood and guts match, do you think after this blood and guts match, they kind of pivot over to Moxley kind of being in the middle of this whole, like he's stuck between Kingston and pride and powerful and the Blackpool combat club kind of thing, because it feels to me like eventually like the, like Regal and those guys are going to turn on Moxley. You know what I mean? I, 
I've always thought it was kind of a setup in some kind of way, or there'll be kind of thing going on. But I'll, I'll leave you guys with that, man, and I'll, I'll take your question off the air, man. Thanks, Thank you, Hansi. Yeah, I think what you're going to see is the exact same dynamic you had with Danielson, and now Claudio's in that role where it's someone that Kingston is teaming with, but has you know a has a past with, and probably plays into uh, the finish or something coming out of it. I think everything that we're seeing right now are build up build ups to p- potential matchups between Eddie Kingston, one of your hottest baby faces, and people like a Claudio Cost- Castagnoli or Brian Danielson. Um, but doing it in a way that, like, first of all, like teams them up first, so that you get some value out of you know that first before breaking them up. Um, and I, it's interesting story. Like, I think, and I think, like what Hansi suggested of having Mox caught in between, um, but, you know. It is a wonderful scenario. We saw uh, something similar with like, uh, you know, the, the Bullet Club and, and Kota Ibushi, did we not? You know, the Golden Lovers and, and, and the Bucks, where Kenny was caught between um, Kota and, and the Bucks, and that made for one of the best tag team matches I've ever seen. So um, there's some great story material to be there. And the fact that like Castagnoli already comes in with like a pre-built f- feud here in Eddie Kingston, I, th- I think is wonderful. Uh, let's go next to Brandon from New Jersey. Brandon, how are you? Hey, what's going on, man? Uh, uh, I thought probably one of the better shows that I've seen like in a very long time. Like, uh, incredible. From did you like it more than uh, Double or Nothing? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, I think I did. It was easy to watch too. Like, like you guys said, like the pacing of the of the show of the shows was light years better than freaking Double or Nothing. Like, I didn't get tired one bit. Was it the pacing of the show, or was it the the, the matches? Like, because like I don't know if the pacing was all that different. I mean, it's always uh, it, in action. Like, uh, it, it felt to me like completely different. Like, uh, like we're like at, like after one match, we're into another match. It, it felt the pacing felt good, and like, isn't that what AEW always does though? Uh it I, this one felt better, uh, easy to watch than uh, Double or Nothing to me. But that's just me. I I don't know, but uh. Uh, Sting and the way he jumped, uh, I was completely blown away by that spot. I thought that was incredible. But let me ask you this. Was that, was that really Sting in the rafter or was was that Jeff Farmer? Oh, (laughs) Jeff Farmer from from the end of, uh, New Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, New Japan Sting. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you think about that? Interesting. Maybe it was a Shavkat Rachmanov. Yeah, he's going to be future champ. The, the, uh, might be. That, he looked fantastic on Saturday. That dude, that dude looked incredible. I mean, the, he, him and uh, him and uh, which one are going to save that division? Uh, but that's uh, <laughs> you guys look tired. Uh, I, I, I believe you at that. Uh, I enjoyed the show, and uh, we'll talk soon, man. Thanks Thank for you. the compliment. Thank you, man. Love you guys. Love you. Uh, same. <laughs> sure. Why not? Thank you. <laughs> Uh, you wanted to do some feedback, John? Yeah, let's do a few. Okay. Um, MJ. Forum.postwrestling.com. Uh, all patrons of the Post Wrestling Cafe uh, can leave feedback. In addition to that, of course, you get bonus shows every single week. More than bonus shows. I mean, on every Tuesday, you get either a rewind away, an ask away, or a talk. And every single Friday, you get an edition of Rewind a Smackdown slash Rewind a Rampage exclusively for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. That's right. As soon as we're done here, Way is going to watch Destination X 2012. I'm saving the, that for Tuesday morning. Are you kidding me? Before, right before we record. No, I'll yes. watch it tomorrow. Yes, yeah. we will be chatting about that on Tuesday. 
AJ Styles versus Christopher Daniels in the midst of the Claire Lynch saga. That's why this person chose it. Awesome. Okay, yes. great. I can't wait to talk about Claire Lynch. Okay, uh, MJ. I'm gonna I'm gonna condense here. Tonight was a fever dream come true for wrestling fans who have woke up at weird hours to watch wrestling in foreign languages, packed civic centers and ballrooms at Mania weekends, and shown undying love for pro wrestling wherever it could be found. Tonight, it was the United Center with the most raucous crowd in recent memory. What a night to be a fan. And says that Taz was fantastic. That cannot be understated. What a great move, giving him duties tonight. Regarding the recent pre-event negativity, it was hard for me to imagine the show wouldn't have to- wouldn't totally deliver, and it totally did. Sands, the four-way finish, was anything below one milk, one sugar. Sure, it was snake bit by injuries and first-time learning curves with the builds and pacing of them, but I cannot wait until Forbidden Door 2 and to think Joe, Punk, Brian, Omega, Ishii, Naito, Abushi can still be added to this type of show. Yeah. They have, uh, I mean, 100%. I think they're going to do this again. And those names, especially that you have attached for a second one, um, you know, you, you got off the ground with the, this first one. And the hope would be that, you know, show two, you can do uh, other meaningful matches uh, as well. Like that, that's what we said at the beginning here was like, this was not going to be a one and done kind of concept. It was, you were going to do multiple shows and this one, you know, you, you can certainly look at the, at the lead up. This one was hit with, with many different uh, issues uh, attached to mm-hmm. it. We go to Dr. Alex Patel, who says, I was on the fence about this after the injuries, but it totally delivered. So many amazing matches, almost everything, everything clicked other than the IWGP heavyweight title match with the odd ending. Claudio debuts as a big star. Hopefully he is able to continue this push and not fade like Keith Lee or Spears, etc. Uh, not sure I love the let's set up dynamite ending over the big Tana and Mox moment, but I guess they are in a ratings war. Overall, I could not have asked for more. So glad I pulled the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've kind of talked about like the odd positioning of this one, you know, it, it, right in between double or nothing and right ahead, days ahead of blood and guts and having to build both at the same time on a dynamite. You can understand why they would choose, you know, the most visible part of the show to get viewers to watch blood and guts. But from a storytelling standpoint, I, I feel like it definitely felt awkward. And I think it took away from the grand grandiosity of the situation. Um, so I, I agree, Alex, but I mean, we can understand why. We go to Mark. What a phenomenal show. The entire event was incredible. The most high energy crowd for a pay-per-view that I can ever remember that was allowed all night. No midpoint lulls on the show. The only blemish was the slightly awkward finish to the IWGP title match as clearly Cole was supposed to kick out and Jay White definitely seemed annoyed. Also, one of my favorite storytelling touches that was done so subtly during the end of the show brawl was that all of the BCC along with Santana and Ortiz were in the ring standing tall, except for Kingston who stood on the floor clearly annoyed with Claudio. Something with Kingston has sown the seeds for months in many interviews where he has spoken about his disdain for Claudio all stemming back from their Chikara rivalry. If this was another company, it would have been the focal point of the build-up to this Wednesday night. Instead, here it was, just a moment for those who have been following that could notice a neat storyline brewing in the background. I loved Excalibur, Ke- Kelly, Taz, and uh, would welcome them as a regular commentary team. They were very good tonight. I enjoyed them they were. a lot. Yeah, yeah I didn't realize... Um uh kingston had had been already like you know speaking about claudio and, and building all this up in, in interviews so he made he made the he made the one tweet when when claudio left wwe it was like kind of the the subtle tweet about him that uh everyone kind of focused on so yeah he's, he's kept it around wow interesting we go to uh wolfman handsome who says this was a really good show no cell sting is the best top matches cassidy versus osprey mox was the right choice for the title and i hope he keeps it punk is a bum 
Matt from Tennessee didn't care for the ending of the shows. I feel like they've done a good enough job for the build for blood and guts, but I guess I can't complain too much because this was a top five pay-per-view for AEW. I was hoping for an Omega return at the end, but guess he's still a few months away from returning. AEW really nailed the show with how cursed it's been with the injuries. Match of the night for me was Osprey and Orange Cassidy. I hope Tony offers will truckloads of money whenever his New Japan contract's up. Overall, though, it was a fantastic show. Props to Kevin Kelly. I enjoyed his commentary. What do you see for Moxley's title challenger? Uh, he throws out Jericho as a name. And if you think Brian Danielson is fine by all out that we get him and Zach at that show. Um, I guess that's a possibility. I mean, you're talking Labor Day weekend when it's a few weeks removed from the G1. So that's a possibility that, that you could do it then. Um, in terms of Moxley, uh, I guess I'm, you build probably for some kind of summer summer title defense on TV maybe. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the rankings right now, and it's, you know, Moxley, of course. It's Wardlow, who seems to have his sights set on the TNT. Paige and Cole had challenges uh, already. Like Paige, said, pa- Paige says, I'm not going to be near a title shot anytime soon. There you go. So I have a Cole. story for that. Cole, Cole, it might be, you know. Cole's uh, already blocked. E- like even blocked. healthy, Cole's kind of, he, he's had his losses. So Yeah, true. You know, then, someone, someone strong coming out of uh, blood and guts. I mean, if it's, even if Moxley's team wins, um, you know, you could you could set something up there. Or, yeah, you could do Moxley and Jericho, I guess. Jay Lethal is ranked number five, and it seems like he's going for uh, Samoa Joe's ROH TV championship. He needs to set of- his sights higher. Like he he has a rightful claim to be number one contender right now for the AEW World Championship, but something tells me he's instead going to go for the ROH Television Championship instead with Satnam Singh. So, yeah, I don't. They're, they're going to you know shoot somebody up there. I think you know to to fit these ratings, and there are plenty of people um, that I, I would love to see Moxley go up against at this point. But you know, on the other note, from from this person with the feedback. I feel like it's a guarantee that people like Osprey, people like Jay White will be getting offers um, and healthy offers, you know, from this was a litmus, te- litmus test to see like how well this, these crowds react to them. And they, they already, you know, treat them like major, major stars. So I think there's going to be bidding wars for all of those guys, you know, once their new Japan contracts are up. Muggen writes, uh, Forbidden Door came through with a strong outing despite the rash of injuries plaguing both rosters. The U.S. title match is easily the best of the show. Orange Cassidy proved he's more than a comedy wrestler as he was every bit Osprey's equal. Claudio's debut against Zack is also a standout. Moxie and Tanahashi was a strong main event and Moxie's bound to have a title run without COVID-86ing it. And Kevin Kelly was on point on commentary the whole night. We got a Brian from New Jersey who says, despite the weak build, I thought this was a terrific, terrific show. If the pay-per-view number is low, I'm curious if replays will be picked up based on word of mouth. A pay-per-view card full of good to great matches with not a stinker in the bunch. Better in ring than double or nothing last month. Claudio immediately came off like a major star and I couldn't be happier to see him. Also, some of the strongest commentary for this pay-per-view with Excalibur and Kevin Kelly filling in a lot of the details on the New Japan talent. Corey from Long Island. In all seriousness, uh, oh, he makes a joke about uh, this ending before midnight, making it the best AEW pay-per-view by a country mile. Uh, this was the breeziest four hours I've ever sat through. This is such a wild contrast to the marathon slog that was double or nothing last month, and I can only hope that this is a case study for the future that quality doesn't necessarily equate to quantity. This is getting your money's worth, but there is also respecting the time of your audience, and as someone who has work tomorrow, that is something worth celebrating. Was there not as much quantity on this show as previous? Like- I mean, 
mean, you much... still got 13 matches on this show. It's not like this yeah. was uh, this was some. Compact... So the difference I think between this and last was that the the buy-in last time was delayed essentially, you know, so that the show could go longer because of the basketball, right? Yeah. So last time on the buy-in, we only had one match. They, they had front-loaded as opposed to back-loading. Yeah. 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 Uh, so maybe that made a difference. We got a Kate from Montreal who says, whatever mistakes were made in the buildup and however badly they were hampered by injuries, this was a hell of a show. Other than the unfortunate ending of the four-way, uh, the IWGP heavyweight world title is absolutely cursed. Everything seemed to hit. I'm pretty sure the pops for Shabbat and Claudio woke my neighbors. A round of applause to all the performers, all of whom brought their A-game into the crowd who were incredible. All right. And last one here goes to uh, Monday. From Detroit. I attended the show live, and I have to say the United Center was completely hot for the entire card, and each match was given lots of respect. A few live notes. The biggest reactions were for Shibata, Claudio, Okada, and Tanahashi. The crowd loved Osprey and Orange Cassidy. Everyone was buzzing after the show. Strange low point with the four-way finish. Took the air out of the crowd for a moment. A fight in the crowd distracted the crowd for about five minutes in the main event, but Tanahashi won them back. Post-main event scrum, some something got Eddie Kingston legit angry at Mox, even throwing a chair. I think that was all... Uh, we, we saw all that on camera. I think that was just playing up the, the Claudio stuff and asks uh, with the incredible reaction to the live crowd in the U S do you think new Japan will loosen the restrictions for cheering? Um, I, I don't think it's a case of like the, the Japanese government is, uh, you know, man, <laughs> look, at these, look at these crowds at AEW shows. We should do this. I mean, it's, um, who is it? Is it not DDT that's promoting that they're going to have fans being able to cheer in a few weeks? At a, at a show, uh, it's one of the one of the shows, yeah. So I like I, I don't understand what the uh, yeah, yeah uh, of what the I think it's it, if that's the case, if one company can do it as of a few weeks from now, um, that would tell me that it's up to the promotions or at least the venues uh, to do it. I, I would hope by by G one time they're going to be allowing fans to to cheer at these buildings, but I mean that's you know that's sort of how how they're they're handling the, yeah. the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's being done for safety and, and for peace of mind for, for the people that are attending, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, they know that like wrestling with reactive crowds that can make noise sounds good. So I don't think they needed this to, you know, be their example. Um, will it influence them? I, I, again, yeah, the, the moment they feel comfortable and that maybe, I don't know if there are outside factors that are preventing them from doing it, but the moment they feel that level of comfort, they will. So. It shows you just, you know, how big of a difference, obviously, you know, it makes to some of this. But you also do have the novelty of, like, so many of these guys making rare appearances and seeing them with the biggest stars in AEW. So it was a great, great night of wrestling. Yeah. All right. Uh, Thanks to everyone that has uh, stayed up late with us. uh, Listen to the Forbidden Door post show. Uh, Because of the pay-per-view tonight, we will not be back Monday with the new show. So we will chat with you Monday night at 11 Eastern for Rewind to Raw. Uh, We'll have the whole schedule up on the site at postwrestling.com. Lots of stories coming out of the uh, AEW show tonight, courtesy of the great Andrew Thompson. Karen Peterson will have a report on the site Monday uh, going over Stardom's pay-per-view on Sunday featuring the promotion's first cage match and uh, a match between a Tom, Tam Nakano and Natsupoy that um, has gotten tremendous reviews as well. So that will be up Monday on the site. I also wanted to uh, draw some attention to some of Karen's work over the past weekend. First of all, she was mm-hmm. on Post Pro Res with WH Park, a very lengthy edition of the show, talking a whole lot about everything that's been going on over the past month in Japanese pro wrestling. But if you're going to do anything, please go to postwrestling.com and read 
her first portion of Dream Slam Weekly this week. Uh, very important comments from her about everything that's been going on in the U.S. and how it's been affecting her personally. We're uh, very grateful that she chose to use our platform to uh, to to give some of those very important views. Also, um, the Nubian Wrestling Advocates returned this past week with a brand new show. I've I almost listened to all of it. It is as always incredibly entertaining. They're joined by Rich Fan to talk about. Uh, uh, Sasha and Naomi, a great deal of time spent on Vince McMahon. And I think the drop, you, the best quote unquote drop you will ever hear in, involving Kendrick Lamar and Cody Devante Rhodes. Yes. Um, and even work in some Herschel Walker discussion too. So it's, it's all covered on the Nubian yeah. Wrestling Advocate. So check that out. Some great work all weekend from, uh, from, uh, the, the NWA podcast, Karen Peterson, WH Park, Eric Marcotte. Andrew Thompson, even Neil Flanagan, uh, getting. Oh my goodness! The news action, my my secret weapon, Neil Flanagan. Are is he our Wheeler Yuta? He was our Claudio this weekend. Okay, he was. uh, (laughs) Yes. Call on the uh, the the big gun himself. So there. Also, Russonomics is out as well. Looking at uh, you know the uh, the the stock price uh, after all the the Vince McMahon news over the past week. So very interesting discussion there. Yes, you can check out all of that. And we have another big week coming up, uh, including uh, next weekend. We'll be back for Money in the Bank on Saturday night. Phil and Eric will be covering UFC 276, which is a huge card uh, with International Fight Week uh, for the UFC. So lots to come. And we'll be back Monday night, 11 Eastern, here at YouTube.com slash Post Wrestling. Subscribe to the channel. Before you go to sleep, hit subscribe. And you will it- never miss a show from Post Wrestling. And if you are already subscribed, consider becoming a patron at postwrestlingcafe.com. It is the best way to support the channel if you enjoy the work that we do. And we'll reward you with some bonus shows on top of that as well. All right. Postwrestlingcafe.com is where you can go for all of that. And we will say goodbye.